2: Hello, welcome to 5 by 5 Before we start, make sure that you've listened or watched or read any of the things we're about to discuss in the podcast. Because if you haven't, everything's about to get spoiled for you because we go into lots and lots of spoilers. So if you want to watch these films, read what we're talking about, if it's a comic, or listen to music that we're discussing, for God's sake, stop listening to this, go off, read, listen, watch what we're talking about, and then come back. If you don't mind it being spoiled carry on if you've already seen it carry on this will be our own discussions so you can listen to what we're rambling about They're our own opinions so you might not agree and if you don't agree that's completely cool but for god's sake don't write in angry to us because let's be fair opinions are like assholes we all have them and some of them pretty much stink enjoy the show switch to dcs Ranger. 240 i'm on the
1: profile
2: we're in the pipe 555 five, five. I didn't realise until I saw the documentary that monkeys actually lay eggs.
0: Monkey eggs? How do you yeah. not know about monkey
2: eggs? I, I, I didn't realise it's Apparently it's a, uh, it's a common thing. I, I didn't yeah, think it was. That's, that's how all that's how monkeys come out. Mon- yeah, I, I didn't know. Monkey realize. eggs? Yeah.
0: Apparently buried in the ground. Yeah. Weird. They, they, they come out like literally screaming. Yeah.
1: And clawing out of
0: the earth. They had... Many people mistake them for zombies.
2: The weirdest screams. That's <laughs> the- yeah, that's it, yeah. 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 Weird. Welcome to 5 by 5 uh, I'm uh, one of the hosts, Chris Jones, as you know, and with me, as ever, is the illustrious Mr. Midi. Hello. We've got a good one today, haven't we? We do. We've got a real good one. Not I- the last one was... Uh, uh, wasn't good it was awesome it was great having sam on we're on a
0: proper 80s kick at the moment aren't we we really fucking
2: are Everything.
0: it's quite good because what comes up at the end of this month
2: oh yes well yeah ready
0: player it actually one. ties in quite well actually uh pop culture wise
2: well we've got we've got to do the ready player one um pod because that's been requested by our good friend ross
0: the, the, the all this stuff i think fits in quite well because it's all very pop culture related in that kind of genre isn't it that kind of hero as well the 80s Mm. It's it's it nearly gets focused on quite a lot in that film, so um, it's good primer I think to hit up a few of these films in the interim.
2: Yeah, and I think last week's one, uh, well not last week but the week before, the last episode either last way episode. Uh, was was good. I enjoyed last episode with uh, with good old Sam, and his his anger, so angry about that new uh, karate kid, well that old karate <laughs> kid film, well the remake of the karate kid film. You know what I'm saying.
0: We didn't even talk about the fourth one that had uh, Hilary Swank in.
2: The, the shit, yeah. Got about that one. We'll have to do an entire episode now with Sam and and Hillary Swank. <laughs> an entire episode just directly uh, go... you know, for for
0: the next Karate Kid. We're just covering that for four hours.
2: Yeah, we'll do a four hour extended <laughs> cut. Um, maybe do a Kickstarter and make it to a twenty four hour pod just based <laughs> on a film that's probably an hour and a half long. You could probably watch it about eight, 18 about times. About three
0: people in the entire world care about it. <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, so, so Sam, I know you're listening to this. Uh, you're going to get involved with that. We'll have a, a swankathon. a um, A good old swanking over the Karate Kid Part 4. It. Or the new student or the... What's it called? Kar- karate Kid
0: 4. Do you know the... what we call it? We'll call it a circle swank.
2: Everyone yeah. likes a circle swank. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That is what we'll call it.
2: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I know, Sam, you're going to be loving it. Uh, So we'll have a circle swank over Karate Kid 4 at some point, I'm I'm sure. Um, But just on a quick tangent about Karate Kid as well, before we carry on about this week's film, um, they released more Cobra Kai footage, haven't they?
0: They did. I I caught it the other day. It's very tiny little snippets, isn't Mm. it? Each each time there's a new snippet. Yeah, yeah, me too. It it
2: generally looks interesting. It really does look it's, good. It's going out over YouTube, isn't it? it says YouTube bread on the actual trailer. So we're we going to need to have a subscription, do you think? Oh, I'm
0: wondering it? if this is a subscription service. I, I don't know a great deal about YouTube bread, unfortunately. So hmm. to, I, I will have to look into that. Because hmm. I'm, I'm not missing Cobra Kai, one way or the other. I'm watching it.
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> that was that was Ace. Uh, The the trailer to that really looks good. And then the latest one, it almost kind of looks like Dan is the bully.
0: Yes. Interesting little tidbits throwing into these teasers. Hmm. It it really does... uh,
2: That's how it looked. It makes the
0: interest early, doesn't
2: it? Yeah. In the last one, that's how it looks. So it could be Mm -hmm. completely wrong and it could be a misdirection. But in the last trailer... Um, there's with a bunch of his friends, and they're going, "Oh, this is the guy. Oh, you're the guy. Yeah, you, you kicked his ass." And he goes, "Well, technically, I, I kicked his face, or whatever it was." Um, yeah. yeah, if you want to get technical about it, and he's kind of getting a bit cocky, and I'm just thinking, yeah. "Ooh, that's interesting," <laughs> mm. because you see, there is an online theory mm. that um, Danny's actually the bully. Mm.
1: Mm.
2: But that's for another See? pod. That'll be for the, 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 the swank circle.
0: Oh, I, I think once we've seen it, we, we, we should
2: almost certainly cover Cobra Kai, give our, um, <laughs> give our view on it. We'll, we'll we'll get Sam back for that one, I think. That, that's a yeah. definite. Right. <laughs> so, anyway, this week, dear listeners, we have Buckaroo Banzai. You do. Mr. Mid, I'm new to the world of strange films. What the hell is Buckaroo Banzai, and where can I get one, and how does it stop the itch?
0: (laughs) Uh, Buckaroo Banzai, or to give it its full name, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, is a 1984 uh, sci-fi action flick. It's kind of one of those films that devise genre. It's definitely sci-fi in there definitely some pop culture references in there. there. There is some action. There's some comedy. It's a bit of everything,
2: isn't it? Yeah, it, it is literally. You, I can't put it down as any kind of genre. And I think the thing is that the film is
0: so involved anyway, it's very difficult to try and um, summarise, if you will. I mean, we'll, we'll go into that further, of course. Um, I'll give like a little brief history lesson on the film um, just to set up um, the genesis of how it came about basically it was um, directed by a guy called W.D. Richter, Uh, he's known to uh, people for um, directing no he didn't direct, sorry, he he, he was a writer he was involved in the writing of The Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the one with Donald Sutherland.
2: Mm-hmm. And?
0: He also wrote, big one here, Big Trouble in Little China. Hell yeah, he did. Yeah. Hell
2: yeah, he did.
0: That's a, that's some pretty impressive uh, CV footnotes to begin with, isn't it, really? Mm. But, um... Uh, this one he wasn't involved as a writer uh, he did throw in some bits and bobs but um, he he's the director on this film it was actually uh, written by um, Earl Mac Rauch as the guy who did this and uh, it's basically um, the, the genesis for Buckery Banzai it, it comes from um, it would have been the early to mid 70s because uh, Richter, the director he'd read an, uh, the first book by aspiring uh screenwriter and uh, fledgling author earl mac rouch and um he expressed his desire after reading this novel to um to work with him because he was really impressed with it. he loved the book it was um advised to read it by his wife who placed it in his hands and uh, he loved it he loved the way rouch uh, wrote and he um he, he saw some promises there. So he saw it was something he could work with. So he issued like an open-ended invitation to Rouch to come out to LA and work with him. Like this invitation was open-ended. It could, you know, whenever he had a spare spot in his uh, calendar, he could come and hang out and they'd work on something together. But cool. there was, yeah, there, there was. It, it wasn't an overnight thing. I mean, this is 1974. This is a good 10 years before the <clears throat> film actually gets filmed. Um, a number of years pass, um, and uh, Rouch eventually takes up Richter on his offer, flies out to LA, um, and he uh, relays an idea to him uh, revo- regarding a character that he's come up with called Buckaroo Bandy. Uh, <laughs> that, that was Buckaroo Banzai's original name, Buckaroo Bandy. Um, that
2: does sound fucking barking, he, he was, doesn't it? Yeah.
0: He, he he just gave him a rundown of the character, a very basic rundown of the character, to try and sell his idea. Uh, and uh, Rouch liked it so much, so, ugh, so month? liked it so much. I'm I'm we're missing that my words, like aren't I? <laughs> um, he, he, <laughs> Rick liked the idea so much that um, he basically offered Rouch, uh I think it was like one point five thousand dollars to develop his story and write it into a screenplay. So he's basically saying, here's this money, you're on my payroll, work on that, we're doing something with it. So that 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 was basically Richter's way of saying, I'm invested in this, I want to work with you, we want to get this off the ground. So um, Rouch basically started writing dozens of treatments for Buckery Bandy. He, he literally had so many ideas none of which actually reached completion um it's um thought that somewhere in the d- region of a dozen aborted scripts for buckery bandy existed and were all shelled for whatever reason
2: it'd be really um, interesting to see what was what were in those scripts if they're just yeah, variations uh, of the same story or they're different stories or what
0: the, 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 there is a few, like, different ideas that are all sort of melded together into Buckery Banzai as we know it today. And also a lot of parts of the script um, also manifested in another way, which I'll mention a little later on. Um, there was an earlier treatment of, of the script called Find the Jet Car, Said the President. And that was the, <laughs> yeah, even that as a treatment sounds fucking awesome.
2: I've watched Doesn't any it?
0: film that's, called that. That's amazing. That's an awesome title. Find the Jet Car, Said the President. And, uh, and that was the first treatment that saw Buckaroo's name changing from Bandy to Banzai. Um, it was a change Rauch was keen on, but uh, Richter... Sorry, Rauch wasn't keen on the change, but uh, it was Richter who actually urged him to keep the name Banzai rather than Bandy. It just sounds better anyway. Um, And I think also the concept of the Hong Kong Cavaliers also appeared in this early draft as well. Um... I think they were the only two real major ideas from that particular treatment that actually stuck. Um, (laughs) There's another brilliantly titled uh, treatment as well called The Strange Case of Mr. Cigars. Sorry, what? (laughs) That is not... What?! He came up with some amazing names for his treatments for, for the Buckery Banzai scripts. And uh, another one was called The Strange Case of Mr. Cigars. But it, it's not just that. It's what actually entailed the, um, the, the, the the framework of this treatment. It involved a giant robot and a box of Hitler's cigars.
2: That's a G- I want to see that film anyway now. It, it sounds like freaking Danger 5. That's amazing. You yeah, you ever seen Danger 5? It sounds yeah.
0: like a Danger 5 plot.
2: <laughs> oh, that sounds so good. The that... strange case of Mr.
0: Cigars. That's awesome.
2: <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs>
0: um, but, uh, I mean, uh, as daft as these things sound, they are very important because facets of these treatments, um, although they were aborted... Uh, little bits and pieces from it survived to form buckaroo banzai as we know it today i mean we move forward now to like um the early 80s 1980 and uh richter and a friend of his neil canson they formed their own production company with the aim of making a buckaroo banzai film as their first picture um with uh rouch writing a treatment for it the treatment he wrote um, with the aim of going before the camera, was called Lepers from Saturn. <laughs> Lepers from Saturn, yes.
2: <laughs> Apparently no studio was interested in this. I am so over some of these films, I need to see them.
0: Um, the studios passed on a, a, a treatment called Lepers from Saturn, presented to them Just by fools. a pair of- Presented by a pair of first-time producers and a director and screenwriter. um, Fools. Yeah, they weren't really all that interested. But um, luckily for them, uh, Canton had uh, previously worked with a senior producer at MGM who placed the script in the hand of David Bagelman, who was at that time the head of MGM. Within 24 hours of that happening, Buckery Banzai had a development deal. Oh, man, that is So so cool. Again, it's another film that we love that seemed to come together by blind luck and producer finagling. It sounds so very strange. Much way, very much in the same way that Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction did. It, again, it stands the producer just oh, getting...
2: No, the... no, hang on. No, no, no. the right people. I'm sorry. There is a big fucking difference between Pulp Fiction <laughs> and Reservoir Dogs for those kind of stories, the kind of films they are, and Buckaroo Band's
0: no, I mean, I mean, from the respect that the producer is the one... Oh, yeah, really no, yeah, to, course. To blame of course. for these happening. He's the one that made it happen. He managed to get it into yeah. the hands of the right person within the studio system, Definitely. to make it happen. And that's the
2: only parallel I would. Yeah, I was right to say I agree with that. But like, I I wasn't saying they were like the same. <laughs> I couldn't put them both together as films. Yeah. Like the same, like, it's like no, um, no,
1: but
0: the, 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 the way that they were presented to a studio was pretty much a similar kind of vein. It was down to some really good networking on the part of the production staff for these films. Um, It basically, they they had a development deal. That means a studio was now funding them to develop this story and turn it into a film. And uh, it took Ratch another year and a half to write a finished screenplay. Um, And in that time, a number of things changed. It was The Lepers from Saturn screenplay. The first thing that changed was the title. Um, it became Lectroids of Planet 10. Now, this is something closer to what we know today.
2: Yeah, because they're the main villains for the film, aren't they? Exactly.
0: So the lepers became the Lectroids, basically, and Saturn became Planet 10. And those are two facets that remain in the adventures of Bakuro Banzai across the eighth dimension that we know today.
2: Although so, I've got to ask, what's the connection between a, a, a Lectoid and a leper? They just begin what, with L.
1: It,
0: it, it was lepers originally. It was lepers from Saturn. Lepers apparently turned into lizards or lizard men. What? And then, yeah, no, that's what happened. It, it, this is the train of thought he was working on when he was ad- adapting the script during this development process. Uh, yeah, it changed from lepers to, le- to lizards or lizard men. And then the lizard men became something of his own creation. It became the Lektroids, who were basically he envisaged them as being, Uh, imagine you have dinosaurs and they continued upon their evolutionary path to become like walking bipedal
2: humanoid creatures. I literally...
0: Pretty much like the Salkurians in Doctor Who.
2: Yeah. uh, (laughs) um, No, hang on. Wait. Right. I just think lepers, dudes that fall apart, see Papillon, the film Papillon, right? Yeah. Dudes that fall apart. Uh, singing detective. Right. <laughs> lizard men. I'm just. <laughs> I don't know how his mind works. I'm just saying this is how it happened.
0: <laughs> During the development process, it went wow. from lepers to leptroids. And uh, it had a little
2: stopgap at being lizard men at one point. That's amazing. I mean, um, you're just yeah. thinking about the the connection between those the the beginnings of, the, of that know. character. I, so you
0: know. I do not know how his thought process worked on that, but um, that's how that's how it ended up. I mean, I, I suppose he went from lizard men to electroids because he wanted something that was his own idea. I mean, I think the lizard Men thing's been done a lot in science fiction, um, dating back from the nineteen fifties and the like. So he, he he did his own spin on it, and it, he basically envisaged in a physical sense them as being like evolved dinosaurs, or how he would imagine evolved dinosaurs would look. And that's the idea
2: he had around electroids. Hang on, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is sounding very familiar to me. Evolved dinosaurs.
0: Well, you're going to start talking
2: about Super Mario Brothers. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly why this is sounding familiar. <laughs> are you telling me <laughs> this is essentially a proto-Mario proto Mario Brothers? Happen. The proto-Mario <laughs> Brothers storyline. Wow. That is just
0: some interesting parallels there.
2: <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah. So,
0: so so basically, yeah, he, he was taking bits and bobs from um from his past treatments as well. Um the ones that were weren't used, those the, those dozen or so that weren't used, and he basically took things like um the backstories for the characters, they were taken for various treatments. And he moved them all over into the main script. Because as we know, watching The Adventures of Bakari Banzai, there's a very involved and well-written history to these characters. And that comes from all these aborted treatments of the script. He, he, over this time, he managed to create a whole world inside his head of these characters, the adventures they've been on, and, you know, their motivations and the like.
2: And that's uh, interesting that you'd say that, just as a side note, because I would say the one the one thing about this film is you feel almost like you've missed something when you're watching the, it. Yeah, very much so. Uh, the first time I watched
0: Buckaroo Banzai, I went, what the fuck? I, have, I, have I missed something and my brain hurts?
2: Well, we'll get, we'll, <laughs> right, yeah, okay. Right, we'll finish off the... the Origins, and then we'll yeah. go to our first ever watchings of it. Yeah. So carry on, you were saying. Um, so, yeah,
0: basically, um, it looked like things were on track. Um, he, was, he was piecing together Buckery Banzai as we know it today. Uh, it looked like everything was going as it should, and then disaster struck because um, there was a Writers Guild strike that forced back production by another year. Oh, man. Now, in the space of this year, Bagelman was removed as the head of MGM which means Bakaru Banzai was up in the air. Uh. It it was his baby. No one else wanted it. So, yeah. What Begum did was he started his own production company. The production company is called Sherwood, which everyone will know from the beginning of the film. Their little logo appears. And he exercised a buyout option from MGM for the Banzai script, which he then took to 20th Century Fox, and he secured a $12 budget with them. And uh, Rauch, in the meantime he rewrote his treatment for three times in that Fuck. intrigue. In, in in the space of that year, when all of this was happening, he went back and did three more rewrites on that script until he had a final shooting script that he was happy with. I, I don't know if it's the fact that Rauch is a perfectionist, the fact that he has a million and one ideas flying through his head at once, and they don't all fit into one thing in a logical fashion. It just seems like it's... I, I, I don't know. It's just like... a. The way he, he writes is like a constant stream of thought type thing. He mm. keeps banging ideas out and now that won't work. Where's the next one? And just keep doing it like that. But he, he, yeah, he had that whole year and he, he wrote another three treatments of that script. And at the end of that, he ended up with the final shooting script. And um, that is basically the background of Buckaroo Banzai.
2: That is so, it's really fascinating. You could You could happily watch a really in-depth documentary about it. I'd love one. There isn't one. And there really should be. There should be. You'd I mean, I've
0: got, I've, got, I've got the Arrow release of Buckaroo Banzai, and they did put some really cool stuff on there. But I haven't, I haven't got it's...
2: it. I haven't got it. But I, I some... thought they would have done a documentary at least. Oh,
0: there, there is some stuff on there. But I think it deserves like a feature length, like a really long, in-depth documentary.
2: I'd watch it. Like Who Goes There, the, um, the Thing one.
0: Yeah, yeah, like a really yeah. big, in-depth
2: thing i mean i
0: suppose it's too niche a thing to put that kind of money in But i suppose if anything like that was ever going to emerge it'll be a fan made
2: financed type type deal really you've got to you've really got to have a big following and be able to recoup the cost of producing these things
0: the Um, fact about it it, it's very niche isn't it buckaroo bands
2: you could have got away with it when there wasn't so much digital content about but yeah. now with digital content, the one thing I notice now with digital content is the special features getting less and less. Yeah. yeah, No, I have noticed that as well, actually, to be honest. And unless it's something that's super massive, like a massive, massive film. Or I,
0: I I think the only people who really take the extra effort to do stuff like that Arrow. are Arrow.
2: Yeah, every day of the um, week, Arrow. In,
0: in, in, in the US, Screen Factory do put quite a bit of effort into theirs. They're kind of like the American equivalent of Arrow.
2: Oh, the but, Shite factory um, and screen factory, isn't there? There's, there's a couple of them. They're all yeah. in the same. They're, 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 yeah, the same company, I think, aren't they? But they're, just, they're different divisions,
0: different, different subsidiaries of the same company. Yeah, yeah. but um, Arrow, in my opinion, is a world leader.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: They, they put so much care and attention to what they do when they release a film, even if it is the most, um, you know, out there sort of niche prospect that you could ever like bung out into retail. They will still put every effort they can into lovingly restoring it. And we'll bung in some interviews. There's a really good interview actually with Peter Weller on the uh, Blu-ray for Buckaroo Banzai. Uh, we have a, a pretty good in-depth conversation with him about the film. So um, yeah, if you're fans of the film and you don't have it, certainly track that down. Um, it, it, it's It's a really great presentation on Blu-ray to be fair.
2: But the one thing about Arrow as well, they always they do go the extra mile. I'm pretty sure have they not just released a Knight of the Living Dead? No,
0: they haven't. I don't think they have. It's all about licensing rights with Arrow, um, because they work primarily within two different places: the UK and the US licensing rights between the two different countries are completely different there'll be some releases we get in the uk they won't get in the us and vice versa Um to my knowledge arrow have never had the rights to night of the living dead i don't think they've had the rights to any of them other than dawn and day i think that
2: was it i know they've got uh rawhead rex coming up they do yeah that's yeah, coming out that's coming yeah. out um yeah. god so, hang on, this will bother me, but while, while I'm looking for that... About the I don't know who has the to rights tonight, to be
0: honest with you, mate. I'm not too sure. I'm pretty, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure it's not
2: Arrow, though. They they have just released a new Blu-ray. I'm absolutely positive of it because my mate Ben... Yeah, there we go. Yeah, Night of the Living... It's a Criterion edition. Oh, uh, yeah, Criter-
0: is, Criterion also stuff yeah. like that.
2: And it's uh, really nice. It's actually really I think if you're going to get uh, any version of the film, uh, this is the most perfect version of it. Um, there's loads of stuff. They've really gone out there to, to make sure there's there's plenty of um, features and things on there. And it just looks great. But, again, I think oh, I've got it confused. It, it's criterion, isn't it? So it's so sort of though- stuff.
0: They're one of the they're one of the names of guys who are well respected in um, presenting these films, aren't they? I mean, yeah. Cr- Criterion were particularly big back in the early noughties, were weren't they? They threw out like, tons of stuff. Did the they days. release in America? Didn't they release Brazil a three disc box set of them? They did. They did a three disc box set of Brazil, and they also did, I think,
2: Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I know they did that. They and, did that as well. And I'm my sure mate they got it. My mate Glenny Boys got it.
0: I'm and sure they did a brilliant. version. I'm sure they did a version of the Wicker Man, and it came in like a, a wooden box with the um, with the um, green man emblem on the front of it. Oh wow! Because um, fox. Do you remember Foxy we used to work with at Cineworld?
2: Yeah,
0: he used to have it. Oh I
2: remember man, seeing that's it. Ace.
0: it was beautiful. It was an actual wooden box, like a slipcover made out of wood with the green man stamped into the front of it. It was really sweet.
2: Oh, that is beautiful. That i yeah. love yeah, I'd love to have something like that. I know that yeah. um the Fear and Loathe in, in Las Vegas one actually has um segments on one of the features of Johnny Depp reading passages from the book as Hunter S. Thompson. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I just I remember Glennyboy getting it and we were just like, This is incredible. It's yeah, it's really nice. And the thing um, is, uh, they never generally release them over to the UK. No. Nah.
0: See see, that's it. A a, a lot of it is down to licensing. I mean, Arrow. Again, going back to Arrow, briefly diverging here, but it does make a point. Uh, Arrow did one recently um, of Reanimator. Oh yeah, they did, didn't they? The original Reanimator got the Mm. Arrow treatment. Over here, we only got Bride Reanimator, which is great because it's an awesome fucking film, and Arrow did a really great job on it. Mm. But they don't own the rights to Reanimator in this country, so we don't get that release.
2: I was like the ending to Bride of Reanimator. I think it was my oh God, favorite it's my favourite ending of all of them. Completely off the wall, isn't it? That ending? Yeah, it's flying heads and craziness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it
0: uh, it just goes a bit erroneous, Bosh at the end, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, no. This is, see, this is actually all relevant, believe it or not, dear listener. Um, I know we like to go on mad tangents, and we embrace the tangent here on Five by Five. But <laughs> it is a very good point about uh, niche films and who who buys them and the people who love them and the kind of information that comes out. And it really goes down to the kind of film fans when they find a film or not just film fans in general, uh, people who yeah. find a connection with something. And they're like, I must have this because of X, Y, and Z. And um, it'll be everything. Everybody's got that gem that they absolutely adore. And people are like, What the hell are you talking about? It's exactly. like, no, It's beautiful. Um, in, yeah. in the
0: in the lead up to this podcast, I was telling people, well, a few people I know asked, well, What's up next on the podcast? I was like, b- Within Buckaroo Banzai. And at least half those people went, huh?
2: Oh, man. Because
0: they never heard of it. It feels and like I, a crime
2: I, sometimes, isn't
0: it? I, I understand it, though, because it is one of those films in the 80s, one of those pieces of pop culture genre cinema that kind of got lost in the mire didn't it
2: Mm. yeah definitely it's it's a strange film because it's a very strange film and it's a very hard sell yeah that's that's the problem like we were just saying earlier the thing about bookaroo banzai is um when you start watching it you think hang on you get this feeling like you've walked into the film halfway through yeah and it's not like in a kind of, you know, Star Wars, with the way it starts with, you know, yeah. New Hope, and you've got Lord Vader, I knew I smelt your foul stench and all this kind of stuff. Um, all that kind of gumph. It's like happens, we're joining an instalment of something
0: we've seen previously.
2: Exactly. And w- with other films, when they're introducing characters and, like, as I say, take New Hope as an example, it's an easy one to do, you mm. just go with it. it. It's written in a way that you can just go with What I think is different with Bookaroo Banzai is it's written in a way that it's almost essential to know to carry on with the plot at times. Yeah. And that's, it's kind of downfall at the same time. It's both brilliant and bold and a bit of a downfall.
0: One of the big things about Bookaroo Banzai, it's not big on exposition. Mm -mm. It's not going to explain itself to you. Oh God, no. In any way, shape or form.
2: Yeah. (laughs) You really do have to willfully... Go with the flow. It's almost like the, the, the punk movie, uh, punk equivalent of movies, because it's almost like it, it sticking is, the bird it, it, at it, you it, going, fuck you, you don't get it? Well, whatever.
0: It's, it's total punk filmmaking. It's, they don't give a fuck. They've got a story to tell. They're going to tell you the story. If you get it, cool. If you don't, give it another go. You'll get some more out of it. Yeah. Buckaroo Banzo was one of those films that it is eminently rewatchable.
2: Oh, yeah, it is.
0: You might get to the end of your first watch and go, I didn't understand a lot of that. But give it another couple of weeks or another couple of months or whatever down the track, bung it on again, and you'll pick up more from it. The good thing about this film is the more you watch it, the more you you actually get from it and retain and remember and piece
2: together. And you fall in love with it more as well. Exactly. It's very, you know, because you get um, sort of, immersed in the lore you did which another thing i think because of the way it was made because of the way it's structured um i would argue that it's got this massive history uh, the story and the characters and all the exposition and all the elements of the story massive history stuff that you could lead all the way back and it's really deep but it's only in one film
0: all of this information Weirdly enough, it goes back to something I was saying at the start in that little history lesson, Hmm. the aborted scripts. Richter basically went to Rauch and said, give me everything. Once he had the shooting script in front of him, they were ready to go. They were about to start shooting. He said, give me absolutely everything. So everything that Rauch had written, aborted, no intention of being used, absolutely everything. He compiled it together. And basically, it became a 300-page book that Richter called the Essential Buckaroo, and that contained notes on every unfinished script Ratch had written. Um, basically, for Richter and Ratch to be able to totally lock in the backstories of these characters, their motivations, their history, um, stuff about the, the, the Hong Kong Cavaliers, who are essentially his brain trust and his muscle. Uh, the Blue Blazer regulars, being a direct lift, obviously, from Arthur Conan Doyle um, with the Baker Street irregulars from uh, from Sherlock Holmes. Um, and Rip the basically in doing this, was treating it as his go-to Bible while shooting and trying to stay in the confine of ratchet's insane imagination. This was his way of going, I want to make sure I'm not forgetting anything here. So he would constantly go back to The Essential Buckaroo, as he was filming and go, ah, yeah, I know you're here. I know your motivation. I can direct you in this way and keep everything on track. And that's how you do it. Cause you've got to wonder from a directing standpoint, how do you keep all of this on track without this level of exposition? And this is how they did it. He had this 300 page book that he would studiously go to while he was shooting, just to keep everything moving in the direction he wanted it to go and to give the motivation to the actors for whatever reason, During whatever scene, with what was happening in relation to their backstory. And I think that was an absolutely brilliant way to approach this film.
2: I think ultimately it's a mark of almost perfect genius or complete madness. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, because ultimately you don't, right? You either get with it, like you quite rightly said, or you just, whatever. But the problem is, it, this isn't the kind of film anyone can get with. Just, it's hard to latch onto it because it's such an um, untangible idea in many ways. It's kind of like trying to well, wrestle with an octopus because the story's all over the shop. Well, it,
0: it was I mean, when, when all was said and done, I mean, F- F- Fox had to think about marketing this film as well. How the hell do you market it? They, they, they literally took the film, well, snippets from the film... Uh, press kits and all the rest of it. Um they had little you know the little headband that he wears at the start of the film when he's in the jet car? <laughs> yeah. They made a shitload of those. Oh,
1: I'd and love they took to have them to one Star of them. Trek
0: conventions. What? They took them to Star Trek conventions. And they basically said, This is what's coming out. Here's some clips from it. Have a Buckery Banzai headband. On to the next
2: one <laughs> That is again, but that's ahead of its time.
0: Again, it, it was. It, I mean, it showed Fox had an inkling there was legs to this film, but they didn't really know how to market it because they didn't totally understand it themselves. I think. I mean, they realised how niche a prospect this film was. There wasn't any simplified way to explain the premise of the film, as it's so involved and complicated. I mean, that they have to explain the backstory and motivation for the red Redden- and Black Letroids, where they why they're at war, uh, Banzai and the Cavaliers' backstory. I mean, even um, John Lithgow himself. He famously stated that it would take him upwards of an hour to big this film up to his friends. He was really excited about it, but he said it's just one of these films that you can't really boil it down in sound bites.
2: I'm I'm going to okay. Let's see. Um... <laughs> i' am I'm, 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 I'm gonna try it no wait <laughs> hang on okay so the story of this film is as such if I'm wrong please stop me mid and just correct me where i'm i'm I drop bits <laughs> out but I'm gonna try and put it into its basic elements here okay so you have havebuckery banzai who's some sort of like genius he's uh... And what? uh he's a genius what oh um come on help me out here dude He's a brain surgeon. Oh yeah, he's a he's a rocket scientist. He's a rock musician, rock star, and he's and he's a rock star and a samurai. <laughs> so so
0: uh, yeah, yeah. You, you, you also uh, master samurai, uh, eastern philosophy as well.
2: Yeah. So he's all the and um, you know physicist, all these things. So you've got this one super genius, and he's mentor, uh, Doctor Hikita yes yep and they create a device called the oscillation over Over yeah okay yeah okay so they make it and it's a it's a device that i think they use it because they want it so you can just carry on driving and go through solid matter i don't know it's something like that
0: Uh, It, it, it is to enable faster than light travel but they found out it had other
2: right okay so Book Rubanzai and his mentor make this oscillation over thruster and the idea is that (laughs) they're testing it because it's taken years and uh, Hakita had been trying to perfect this for decades and they finally think they've got it so in between his tour with the Hong Kong Cavaliers he's banned and all these uh, all these kind of gubbins and all the things that he does in his day to day life which are you know unreal <laughs> like all the stuff that uh buckaroo banzai does uh they test this thing out and it works but when they go through they realize it goes through a different it goes through dimensions
0: yeah because when he's test driving the car he drives it through a mountain but he doesn't just
2: drive it through that's a mountain, the start actually. of the film isn't it that's the very he drives
0: start the directly film. through our plane of reality <laughs> as you do <laughs> Everyone from the outside said, "Okay, he's just driven through a mountain." Actually, no, he's driven through a mountain and into the eighth dimension.
2: Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. So, so he does that, and he comes back. Like he sees a crazy, like this crazy kind of show of things. And the reason I'm going through the story is for anybody who hasn't seen this film. Obviously, spoilers, as we always say at the beginning of the pod, anyway. Um, but uh, I think the only way to kind of recap on the people who have seen it and can't quite remember it. Is to kind of just break it down. So, okay. They make this oscillation over the thruster, it goes through into different dimensions. He's testing it out. Um, he comes back and there's a creature on the car. He's what the fuck is that? Something quacks like on be. when
0: he was in the eighth dimension. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, like anybody would be. They'd be like, What the fuck is that? Um it the film then goes to my favourite character in the film, which is John Lithgow. Amazing. Uh, Lizardo isn't it Dr. Lizardo Dr.
0: Emilio Lizardo oh
2: there we go Emilio also Lizardo
0: or so we think or ah. we
2: think ah yes right okay <laughs> hang on because <laughs> now you have to
0: go back to the start and explain Dr. Emilio Lazardo.
2: <laughs> right okay 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 <laughs> Hikita is you know when I was saying about this over, over thruster this oscillation over thruster uh, when he's been trying to make it he originally tried to make it with this Italian uh, professor called Doctor Lizardo, played by John Lithgow, um, he they built one of these things back in I don't know the 1930s like, uh, basically, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, something like that. And uh, they test it out, but well, no, Lizardo tests it out and it's not. They weren't going to test it, but Lizardo decides, no, I'm doing it because he's this like <laughs> I'm a genius. I know exactly what I'm doing. So he <laughs> goes and yeah. does it, but he gets stuck between um, two dimensions. Yeah, between our reality and the the reality of this eighth dimension. Um, And it's caused him to go a little bit mad. Um, It's not just that, though, is it?
0: He doesn't just go mad. Something else happens.
2: Oh, yeah. The the creatures, the uh, lectoids. Yes. um, They fuse with him.
0: One particular lectoid fuses with him. And it's um, someone who's quite high on the lectoid hierarchy. It's Lord John (laughs) Wharfen.
2: Yes, I love the fucking name in these films. Oh, Jesus
0: Christ! Oh my God! Lord John Borfin is the name of the lectoid that fuses with Media Lazardo and basically takes him over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's, he's still there though. Lazardo's still there. He, he he's he's kind of driving Lazardo out like a big flashy car. Yeah, but because no, I'm... but
2: Lazardo's still there though. He's still he's yeah, just. He has like...
0: bits it's almost like he's using Lazardo's memories and his intellect, but Warfend's in control, basically. <laughs> so... Oh Christ! But but it's it's like it's really interesting because it's in the way that um, Lethgo describes how he approached to playing Lizardo. He Said the way he walked, that that kind of
2: oh my god, that's so funny, short led limp, almost like crap. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah, almost like Lazardo's
0: fighting with Warfin for control of his body. So. He runs, like, a bit of a mantle.
2: Because I always thought, the way I've always read it is, uh, Lizardo's so, such a genius. He's actually, he's keeping, uh, what's the name of the guy again? John Warden? Or... Warfin. Warfin, right. He's keeping Warfin at bay, but Warfin's influencing him, but he's still in control. See, I, I always understood
0: it that Warfin was the one who was in control, and he, he was basically using Lizardo's body as his means of moving in our dimension
2: because i thought well, that's why he like he's so insane because lizardo well, yes the, yeah. the, the,
0: it's, there's two beings occupying one body yeah so it's sending the
2: lizardo side of it
0: completely insane but also it doesn't yeah. help that warfin's pretty mad himself or <laughs> itself however <laughs> okay. <don't> <laughs> you want to describe it uh, and
2: this is us still trying to summarize this film. This this is the first 15 minutes of the film. Facile <laughs> sotto Right, okay, so, right, hang on, let's go back to the start. So this lunatic, Lizardo, um, finds out about this, uh, uh, the overthruster being successfully uh, tested. And... So
0: he's found out that basically it's been perfected; it now works
2: perfectly. Yes,
0: and he's in this insane asylum; he's been locked up. But basically, after Warf merged with him, um, everyone believed Lazardo to be insane. Mm-hmm. Um, he escaped the scene of the accident, but was apprehended and subsequently thrown in a loony bin. And he he gets his kicks from uh, charging himself. Basically, yeah, it, it, it's almost like whenever he feels like his lit, be, being part of Lozado in this body and it feels like it's running down and he, he, he's losing control of it. He he basically gives himself electroshock therapy.
2: Yeah. To,
0: to try and break it
2: like It's like a car battery in the fucking pliers. It is, and he just attaches it to his ears and his tongue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so anyway. Right. So... He breaks out. It goes back to uh, Book of
0: not Not to break out because he he kills that security guard. He was actually Mike from *Bacon Bad*. Oh my god!
2: Yeah, yeah. Jesus, sorry, I haven't seen the film for a long time because <laughs> um, I haven't got a copy of it. Otherwise, uh-huh. I've watched it. Uh... Seriously,
0: mate, hey, go 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 on Amazon, grab a copy of the the, Amaz- the Amazon. Go on Amazon and grab a copy of the Arrow release because it's fucking awesome.
1: <laughs> well, really you'll
0: get it, you'll get it cheap as well. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, this is so nuts. This film's great. I love it. Uh, it is. Right. I, I love this film. I love fucking talking about this film. I
2: get very excited talking about this. They, film. they go. <laughs> it goes. Is he doing a brain surgery? Is he doing brain surgery? Um, but
0: but, but he, he actually he, he's he's doing a. a a procedure before
2: he tests his rocket car that's it that's it so sorry (laughs) the film starts with him doing a procedure then doing the uh the testing the car and it's been recorded isn't it it's on live tv or whatever it is
0: yeah so he's he's just broken through into another reality come back again and he's got a gig yeah and then he goes
2: well (laughs) after we see lizardo get out of there like crab out um he goes it goes back to banzai and he's in um he's having a gig with the hong kong cavaliers his band yeah. and uh there's that's where ellen barkin's character uh, penny comes into comes it, into it. Yeah. because and she's like really depressed and suicidal isn't she yeah and during the performance um she she goes to kill herself doesn't she she has a gun yeah yeah she goes to kill herself and everybody goes oh they're trying to kill banzai and they go onto her and uh, he gets uh, out of jail because he has a connection with her. Because is she? Hang on, let me get this right. Is she the twin sister of his dead wife?
0: It, it basically, she reminds him of his dead wife because they look identical.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. Yeah. So, so this is a, this is all information. You're like, what? because it, it again if this was in if this was the second film you would all this stuff would have been established in the first film <laughs> or if it was a TV series this was like midway through this, the the uh, season or something you'd More you on that
0: later out. actually interesting uh, you both...
2: yeah well that's yeah. exactly why I brought that yeah, up yeah. <laughs> um so let me get get this right so it banzai after going oh yeah it's okay crazy lady you, you know don't worry don't feel down. You remind me of my dead wife. And I think I let, love you. Let me sing you a song. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, he then does a press conference about, because obviously the world are like, this is great and all. You've just destroyed physics as we know it, then fucked off to do a um, a, a gig. Somebody tried to kill you. Do you want to explain what the hell's going on to the world? So he does this press conference about the car. Um, and And then... Does he does he bring out the thing that's attached to the car? I think he... Either way. Right. So... Um, well,
0: yeah, because he, he... It's basically because after he's been through that dimension, he can now actually see the Lectroids as they are. Because uh, in our plane of existence, they actually hide in plain sight as us. Like they live. As as humans. Um. So, Yeah. <laughs> You get that scene yeah. in, in, in the press conference where he actually realises that there are left. there. But
2: people all think he's really gone mad. Good. Good. Yeah. Because they're thinking, oh, What's my God, line? it's the same thing. There's, just a like... really...
0: there's a really great, oh, there's a really great line there. I'm trying to think what the hell it you was. You try
2: to think about it while I carry on talking, OK? Well, if yeah. I have to look it up, I'll carry on talking. Right, so um, so he's he can see it. Everybody thinks he's gone mad, like Lizardo Uh, because he can see these strange people in amongst the crowd when he's talking about his experience, which is even more funny because he's talking about that thing that's attached to the car, or was attached to the car. So Mm. in the space of less than 24 hours, he's broken, defied physics uh, to a point where human, defying human understanding of what we know as physics. He's proved there's other life forms in different dimensions. (laughs) He's played a gig and almost been killed and he's found the uh, the woman who reminds him of his dead wife that is in with the f- oh and there's a mental um, genius who is trying to uh kill him because he's possessed by a uh, ethereal uh, uh, another ethereal lizard being from another dimension who's who's a dictator that's in his mind <laughs> uh, okay this is within the first 20 minutes of the film. Just wrap your minds around that, listeners. Okay? So it, like... it's, a, it's a lot to try.
1: This the, the, How do you the, process this? Back... This? You this, goes back to what,
0: this goes back to what John Lithgow said. He said it was impossible for him to summarize this movie to anyone in anything less than an hour. Yeah. Because he would literally do what you have just done in explaining the film because to Because you people.
2: start doing it, and then you go, shit, no, hang on, I've dropped what, something, what, go back again,
0: and you're like... What, you, what you've just done there, is you have, quite well, and I might add, summarised the basic premise of the film.
1: Oh, it but, was
0: hard, it was hard, man. But there's still big things you miss, because... <laughs> there's different coloured lectoids. <laughs> you know, they're not just lectoids, there's red lectoids, and there's black lectoids. Yeah. They've all got... They've all got the same name. They're all called John. Yeah, why not? Each and every one of them's called John. I, I I don't know what their rationale is on that, but I love it. They're all called John.
2: Quite, quite frankly, that's just what, lazy writing. After that, if, if <laughs> it's just like amongst, I can't be bothered to keep thinking of new names, John. <laughs> if you're hiding amongst humans, what's more human than the name John? Yeah, it's, it's, it's basically. Like a, what's his last name? Which um, one? It's well, a lot of John. You know that John. You know John. Which John? That John. <laughs> There's lots of Johns. The good John. The,
0: the, the, the John Parker.
2: Yes, thank you. The Carl, Carl um, Lumberley. Is it Lumberley? The actor's name. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he comes in, because then they, he gets befriended by this really cool raster dude, who's um, a little bit out there, and he's a <laughs> called John Parker. He, he, <laughs> <laughs> this
0: is the other faction of the Leptoids who are at, at war with Warthon's faction of the
2: Leptoids. Which begs the question: <laughs> Right, why did this dictator go into Lizardo's body? Because Lizardo stuck his head in their dimension. Makes sense. <laughs> um, but, they can, but how did they get into our dimension? They must. I, I don't know. Because I've I, seen during. <laughs> The the, the
0: rocket test. Lizardo essentially (laughs) rammed his head. Trying to describe
2: all this stuff. He rammed his head against a wall, didn't he? He (laughs) does his head gets it's like a cartoon, like a Bugs Bunny moment. His head is stuck in the wall, and he just (laughs) I just remember him screaming with that flashback. (sighs) Oh, when he comes out,
1: yeah,
2: (laughs) 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 He's just so. So he's just gone mental. He's just gone screaming. It's so, I love that performance by John. That's I,
0: it's amazing. I, I, I just, I, all the black are called John, but I just love the fact that some of the surnames are brilliant. Christopher Walken. Do you remember uh, Christopher Walken? No. Christopher Lloyd. Do you Christopher remember what Christopher Lloyd. Lloyd's John was called? Oh, is it Mac Butty? No, Big Booty. Big Booty. <laughs> Big Booty. It's not Big Booty. It's, I see it. Warfman believes he's called Big Booty. He's called Big Bootay. Yeah.
2: There's an accent there. <laughs> oh, because the accent, I always th- thought it was Mac Butty.
0: <laughs> There's another one called John Smallberries.
2: <laughs> what? But they're all these weird aliens in suits. John Smallberries. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean, some of the acting talent in this film is really high profile acting talent. They're all really wonderfully cast. It's incredibly eighties,
0: isn't it? You've got mm. Jeff Goldblum in there, got Clancy Brown in there, Ellen Barkin, John Lithgow. This
2: is this is pre Goldblum being massive. Pretty yeah, this fly. is like well, this is nineteen eighty four, isn't it? Ooh. Um yeah, yeah. It's probably
0: well, I wouldn't say it's his big break because it wasn't a big film, but yeah, it's it's the first
2: um high profile
0: after, now after Death you know, Wish. in genre circles. Yeah
2: as as a rapist in Death Wish.
0: Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Well, yeah, yeah it's just like a little part
2: in that, though, wasn't it, really? Yeah, I know, but what... Yeah, so uh, I can't even think of many other films he was in prior to The Fly. He,
0: he didn't really get many big roles until the 1980s. That's mm. when he really started to take off. Yeah, mid but, to late uh, 80s, wasn't it? I mean, The, it, it, the Adventures of Buckery Banzai is like a, a genre who's who from the 1980s, isn't it, really? Oh,
2: yeah, definitely. And... And the film just goes crazier and crazier it is mental I why, yeah
0: I just there's just so much I love about this friggin film I mean going back to that section um, where we see the gig yeah that's great because th- they really are playing that They're 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 all like playing the music in that sequence Paul Weller, Paul Weller, not Paul Weller. Well, oh yeah, he is a good musician. You're right. <laughs> he is an accomplished
2: musician, but we're not talking about Paul. Weller.
0: In fact, in fact, we're going to. Oh, it was Paul Peter Weller Gabriel, writing.
2: wasn't it? <laughs> Peter Gabriel, well-known uh, actor who played Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Peter Weller was
0: an uh, accomplished musician, anyway. Um, so during that sequence, um, for. Um, their own like musical introduction and um the rendition they do of the skyline is since i don't have you he plays guitar in that he sings in that he plays trumpet in that and he also learned how to mime playing keyboard to that song that's that's some proper proper talent behind that really it's it's quite impressive that is Uh, amazing isn't it and uh Paul Weller's rendition since I don't you is fucking awesome. It's really good. It's really, it's really stripped back and really cool. I-, I love that sequence.
2: Yeah, I, it, it's just, everybody's really cool in it. It is. It's one of those films It's just like,
0: I mean, the, the end credits.
2: I love, uh, I love those end credits. How hip are those end credits? <laughs> just going down an old, um, storm drain. Like, it's, this. it's like, it's like
0: you could be in the wrong side of Shoreditch right now, and you'd probably yeah. see it.
2: <laughs> it's amazing, and they're all coming together, all the, the, the Hong Kong Cavaliers and all his, his mates, and and for some reason, Jeff Goldblum is another neuroscientist, but he likes to dress like a cowboy. He loves dressing like a cowboy. He can't sing, but he can dance. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I mean... Oh, okay, So so anyway um let's before we get lost in the inside i mean just trying to, def- to describe this film is wow and there's something i want to get back to regarding the that shit crazy side of this which i love uh please don't think in any way shape or form that i'm attacking it i love the, the way it is um
0: it's an insane, insane film, and it, it it could very easily appear like derision when you're talking about it. But it's not derision in the slightest. It really is that fucking nuts, yeah. But in the
2: best possible way, in the best possible way, it's crazy <laughs> in the best way. Um, what I what I was going to say is like, when did you first watch this film? I'm curious because we always do this little bit. Um, yeah, my I... one is the usual for me, but you you carry on. You tell me yours. I
0: first saw this, I think it was probably when I was in college,
2: to be honest with you. So at least you could have wrapped your head around some of the concepts a bit more.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm pretty sure if I'd seen this film any earlier, I probably would have turned it off.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I watched it. I watched it when I was about... I must have been about six or seven. Because... It's another one that my dad saw at the local video shop and went, oh, Christopher will like this. Rented it because it sounded crazy and the kind of silly kind of things that I loved watching. Um, To
0: be fair, though, if you did this by the video cover, fair play, because it's a cool
2: cover. That's what I mean. The cut, that's like Yeah, the really nice um, hand-drawn picture of Peter Weller and he's, like, got the guitar and...
0: It's got the Electroid spaceship in the background as
2: well. Yeah. So everything about that screams, like, about little boy Chris... He would, that's checking you know all another thing, the, the things for him.
0: you know another reason why I think you would have liked that? It looks very Doctor Who. Exactly. Exactly. This is, this is ah, what I think my dad did it. And when you're trying to boil down Buckaroo, it's like an American Doctor Who.
2: Yep. In many respects. In fact, that is the best analogy, or the best, com- not analogy, comparison I have ever heard for Buckaroo Banzai. It's an American oh. version of Doctor Who.
0: Thank you, mate. <laughs> that is genuinely
2: the best comparison I've ever heard. And it's it the best be nice, way of describing it? it. And I think it, if you try to explain it now, if you're trying to sell it now, and it's an American Doctor Who, people go, ooh, that sounds great.
1: It, it is, because the, the,
0: the, there's, there's a number of things about Buckaroo's personality, his analytical mindset, mm-hmm. that lend um, comparison to the Doctor. There's a number of scenes in that film. You watch it going... He could be the
2: Doctor right now. Yep. I get that.
0: Even going so far after Peter Capaldi's recent run with him playing the
2: guitar, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ, yeah. Dude, right on the nail. Booker Banzai is the American Doctor Who. That is the reality of it all. Uh, And it it was making... It was, in fairness to it, making the Doctor cool during a period where, in the UK screens, he wasn't perceived as being very cool. I thought he was cool, but general audiences really didn't it,
0: it's about an, an American approximation to Dr. Who. yeah it's like relentlessly cool and relentlessly hip
2: yeah and very it's, 80s though yeah very oh 80s. god yeah like the uh, <laughs> like the shoulder pads in his in his suit that, and that uh, crazy and kind the colors, of skinny suit yeah and um, the lapels are kind of like shrunk down yeah. tiny lapels and, yeah <laughs> um, that would be a cool Dr. Who costume actually I think the yeah. next doctor should have that <laughs> Um but yeah, I I I I remember seeing this film and going, Ooh, I can't wait to watch this and then going, What's going on? And then go, Ooh, monster. And then going, I don't get it. There's a what why is he kissing it? Why is he playing guitar? Ooh, more monsters. Uh, and then laughing my ass off every time Lazardo turned up. It it broke me. Because he just seemed it's... so weird. And because I thought thing's... his name was Mac Butty, So I after watching this as a kid. Ran around when I was playing. I must look mad as this kid going macbuti like that, just because he's Italian. So I'm trying to do this kind of weird off Italian accent as a kid going macbuti macbuti and everything like that as he's talking to. Him. But it's it's not that obviously. Um, he's going big booty, uh, big booty, and he's like it's big booty because it's like, <laughs> like, like getting angry. Yeah.
0: Oh God,
2: but. Yeah, I, I think it's um, good
0: thing about this film though. You, you don't necessarily need to understand it, but you will still stay, take away stuff from it
2: that you'll really enjoy. I, uh, you know, what the imagery of the end of the film when he's walking da- along the thing, and me going, I really want to watch the next one because it actually <laughs> says, um, book coming soon, ah. Buckley Banzai against the World Crime League. We'll get to <laughs> that later. That that
0: comes to something very interesting as well about where they intended to go.
2: Mm. So yeah, that was my introduction to the film. Yeah, let's talk. Um, let's talk cast.
0: Great, great cast in this film. Um, There's the, 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 some interesting backstory to it. I mean, um, Banzai himself. Fox wanted a big-name actor to play the role. Um, But Richter and Canton wanted an unknown. Um, One of the big names that was banded around to play Buckaroo was Tom Hanks. That would have worked. Which I actually think would have worked. Yeah, that would have worked. I think it would have been really, really cool. But... uh, yeah, Richter and Canton wanted an unknown for, or, or a relative unknown for it, and um, they screen tested Peter Weller, and they went with him because he just fit the role so perfectly, and he does—he completely embodies that character, really believably.
2: Well, Peter Weller's is an incredibly intelligent person. He and, is. Um, um, he, I mean, the, he's a professor for fuck's sake.
0: Yeah, you—you you watched that interview with him on the on the Arrow Blu-ray. That there's a, a proper in-depth discussion with um, with Weller uh, about the film, and he he's very excited about it. And it. That's another thing you take away from this: the actors who were involved were very excited about this film. They're very excited about the characters they were playing, the backstory, how how it insane it was, how much invention went behind it, and um, yeah, you, you you certainly get the impression from Weller that he was very invested in this role. And he talks about it very eloquently and with a lot of affection as well.
2: I think with, with Weller, in general, as an actor, there's an intelligent intensity to everything he says. And I think yes. because of that... It's very intense from Weller, though, yeah, isn't it? He? He's got a, a, very, um, a very real uh, gravitas behind Yeah, him. and, and he's, he's, you know, I mean, there, there's nothing to him physically. Um, but especially back then, because he's this really skinny guy. He's a very skinny man. And and he's there, and he's just like, yeah, I'll do this, 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 which is why he was perfect for Robocop, because yeah. uh, he was perfect for the suit, so he never looked um, overly bulky in the suit. He looked big, yeah. but he didn't. I mean, you put anybody else in there, like when they were talking about Michael Ironside as Robo, yeah. he would have, because Michael Ironside is, and he's, Michael Ironside wasn't fat, but, like, you know, um, if you put Michael Ironside in the suit, it certainly would have been a bigger, even bigger and
0: that, you know, that was the right move for that. I mean, they, they were looking for sly actors, weren't they? They're very slim men.
2: And there's, I think, he's such a fascinating performer um, in regards to, like you say, physicality. Yeah. That he can pull off a character like Robocop with the bottom, the, the jaw and the lips and, you know, kind of portraying emotions in just the bottom part of his face and then with a role like Buckaro Banzai, that's so such an eclectic uh comparison of numerous individuals rolled into one character.
0: But he, he could bring his own he could bring his own experience to it as well, because at least it's like I was saying, like um, well well was a, an accomplished musician anyway. Yeah. So he, he he could hold his own on the rock star side of things because he, he knew how to play his instruments, he knew how to sing, he he knew how to to perform. Which, which which was good. I mean, you needed someone who was going to be believable, I and mean, he was a very believable Buckaroo, I thought,
2: but in 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 a really bizarre way, a part of me almost thinks that Buckaroo Banzai is more of a. He's not. He's just being himself, almost. Yeah. Um. Which yeah. Is, I know. Which I'm brilliant.
1: Is, yeah. <laughs> which is which brilliant?
2: is which is awesome, man. Um. And when you see him, it's almost like, I mean, yes, he 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 is creating a character. It's not like he's not acting. Of course, he is. Um. But. I think the brilliance of Peter Weller as an individual, uh, as an actual person, the way he um, discusses his like, fine to the art rock, and everything that yeah. else that he does, I think just heightens everything about Booker Banzai's screen presence. Everything. And I think, yes, I think with Tom Hanks, again, doing the Doc two comparison, you can have somebody like he, he would be like a David Tennanty kind of. Yeah version of yeah. Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> very fun and very silly and jokey and things like that. And, and it would have been a very different Buckaroo, yeah. but I think it would have been a good one. Oh yeah, of course it would. Of course it would. Yeah. But I mean I think when you have something like Peter Weller, that's where you have the thought and the intense kind of Tom Bakerish kind of bizarre yeah. uh doctor. Um and that's where Peter Weller is really perfect for this role. And and in many ways as well, if you look at his career he it's filled with really interesting off-the-wall kind of performances. Naked Lunch.
0: So that's a very good description of his
2: career, off-the-wall. It is. All of the characters he plays yeah. have always been, with the exception of some of the ones he's been doing for TV, yeah, like, like Dexter and when he was in Sons of Anarchy. What, what you just said was a very good example. I love Naked Lunch. Yeah, he's he, but- all, so intense and strange and macabre and uh fluid and and just it's like everything you can't even describe his performances sometimes i think Mm -hmm. weller is a a, a vastly underrated and underused um professional source i think he should have (laughs) had a big much bigger career than he did
0: it's 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 a curse of a lot of um actors who have played in um Genre or what you'd class as pop culture cinema back in the 80s, they became pigeonholed to these roles. Mm. And in uh, a lot of ways, um, it, 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 it was detrimental in downplaying their actual ability as actors. I
2: always say it, Mark Hamill.
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. And it's very only
2: much. now where people have started to, like this week he goes his Hollywood um, star, on the Hollywood yep. Walk of Fame, yeah, um, and it, it's almost like he's getting the career. His career now is the career he should have always had, yeah. But there's a big lull because he was so typecast and, yeah, as this one character.
0: It, it is a curse that seems to hit a lot of actors from this, um, from this, from this era. There's some really great genre actors at this time that just sort of got buried against the mainstream uh, unjustly i think in many cases mm. uh um, weller being a, a prime example
2: i think um jeremy irons not jeremy irons help michael Ironside. michael Ironside. that's yeah. another a good example yeah because he's a great actor michael irons
0: brilliant yeah. yeah oh he is he he fucking brings it in every role he he, he has i mean he, even the really bad ones i mean look at he was easily the best thing in highlander too and that film's atrocious
2: <laughs> I, I'll always have a soft spot for Highlander Two. It's the only sequel I have a soft spot for. Um, love Highlander. The rest of them can go to hell. But I'll, I'll keep Highlander Two uh, for my he's own amusement. He's definitely the highlight of that film. He is brilliant. Yeah, yeah. he's my favourite part of Highlander he, Two as he, well.
0: He just go, he just goes fucking that film. He just goes absolutely fucking mental. His character's named That's after just, a fucking sword. He, he just scenery chews yeah. the entire film General every Katana. second that he's in it.
2: <laughs> just like. <laughs> You know, he ain't going to be the sh- like uh, the most stable of cats when you're named after a bloody killing that weapon,
0: thing. gurning manically. But it's brilliant. <laughs>
2: uh, what when he kills the dude on the um, train and he goes, yeah. "I like the jacket," and then it's just yeah, like yeah. The, the weird sort of strobe effect, and he's just like yeah, just yeah. cracking the guy's neck and just breaking yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> but again, another perfect example. Uh, Richard e. Grant, very much so. Richard e. Grant. He, he deserves I mean, to have a much bigger career than he's ever had. I,
0: I I think I think Richard E. Grant afforded himself a lot more um, respect because he was an, already an established uh, stage actor and uh, Royal Shakespeare Company actor. So uh, I think he fared slightly better. But I do completely understand what you're saying. There, he, he's another one of those people that should have had a much
2: bigger film career than he actually had. And I mean, like John. But then you look at his counterfoil in the film, well as counterfoil, you've got John Lithgow.
1: And he, oh.
2: He's escaped typecasting. That's the mad thing. Lithgow's L- L- guy's just one of those guys. He 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 he's a chameleon.
0: He can absolutely adapt himself to anything. He 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 he, he tries to portray, isn't he? He's as Lizardo. He he pretty much steals the film, in my opinion. I've in seen
2: that. Like that. Didn't he?
0: Didn't Raising Kane? A oh split God! Personality. He was fucking terrifying in *Raising Cain.
2: Yeah, and yeah, Ricochet—he's amazing in that. Film. I love Ricochet, yeah. Le- lesser-known bloody action film with Denzel Washington. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: he's brilliant in that. And then you take him from this, and he's in *Harry and the*—well, Hen- *Bigfoot and the Hendersons*, and *Santa Claus the Movie*. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's in *Santa Claus the Movie*, and he's in um, *Bigfoot and the Hendersons*, and he—he he ended I love up being, Bigfoot, I yeah. Love that. And it was Yoda in the um, the radio play versions of the Empire Strikes Back that, that were out at the time. Because um, they did a radio play versions of Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back back in the day. So they did Star Wars. Mark Hamill um, came back as Luke, but they didn't have any of the other actors. So they just got loads of people like Brock Peters was Darth Vader and and uh, they got a bunch of other people to come in, but they couldn't get Frank Oz. And he was doing a performance uh, on stage, and one of these people that he knows was going, "I'm going mental. I can't find, I can't find somebody to do do Yoda." And then Lithgow just goes, "Oh yeah," and just goes the mm, strange that must be <laughs> sort of thing. And he was like, "What? Hey, what?" And that's the quickest job apparently that he ever got, and he ended up being Yoda for this. <laughs> he radio to play. a really good Yoda impression. <laughs> yeah, he's he's really he's uh, he's so talented. And I mean, one of my favourite things he was ever in was, of course, Third Rock from the Sun.
1: Yeah,
2: I think that, that that's um,
0: probably probably the thing most people will remember John Lewis guy for Twilight it? Zone the movie. It's, it was incredible. Yeah, in that. Yeah. It's good in that. One of the few good things in that film, because again, that's another one that wasn't particularly brilliant, but he is certainly a high point in there.
2: Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. And also, how can we not just talk about Lithgow? Uh, Because funnily enough, talking about Highlander, there's a Highlander connection because we have the Kurgan himself in the film. Clancy Bryan. Yeah. And he's great. Again, uh, another one of those 80s Star Wars, isn't he? Yeah. Ellen Ellen Barkin, God that's what she must have thought when she she got the script. But she's brilliant. She's really yeah. good. She has fun with the role. You enjoy seeing her on screen because she looks like she's enjoying it. I, I think I think you can say that about all the actors in this film. Mm. They, they, they just seem like they're having a ball with it.
0: But they they seem invested in. I, I think they willfully let the madness take them over. <laughs> really. <laughs>
2: I think that's the best way to describe it they they go with the flow <laughs> but, but isn't it strange because right isn't it it is strange that you that one of the, the electroids uh in the film um would go on in another series of films to create a car that also travels at high speed but breaks physics as we know it but travels through time christopher lloyd
0: yeah <laughs> John Big Booty.
2: Yeah. John Big Booty. Uh yeah, there's loads. There's loads of people. Did you know Jamie Lee Curtis? 80. She was. She she was in a
0: deleted scene as buckaroo's mother. Yeah. If How you look at the that? scene if you look in the scene at the start, it's only in the widescreen version. You have the cockpit of the jet car, there's actually a picture of Jamie Lee Curtis on the dashboard.
1: No. But you're way. Over-
0: You'll only see it in the widescreen version because it was cropped out in the um, other aspect ratio.
2: That is so mad. That's cool. Yeah. I love knowing stuff like that. That's amazing. Right. Uh, and another one, which you'll like, Ronald Lacey was in it. From yeah. Uh, Raiders
0: of the Lost Ark, of course. Yeah, Melted yeah. Face.
2: <laughs> <laughs> if, uh, you know, if it melts in the face, all good, man. All good.
0: And and. Ronald Lacey um, was actually dubbed in this film. What? Yeah, an American actor dubbed his vo- his vocals. How? I don't know. That's a weird one. I don't really understand it because Ronald Lacey is like a, a classically trained actor. I don't know why you'd want to dub him over. But yeah, interesting fact. He was dubbed by an American actor in this film.
2: That is mad. Yeah. But another person who I love who's in it is um, Dan Hedaya. Yes. I love Dan Hedaya. Again, when he pops up I'm like John, it's him. <laughs> John
0: Gomez in this film, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> Another one of the lectoids. The, the thing is though, but you don't really, I i, I might be wrong. Do, do you see Dan Hedaya when he's not a in this film? Is he constantly in makeup? I can't really remember.
2: I think he is. We might be both wrong, but I can't remember seeing his face. You definitely see Vincent Schiavelli And you when, definitely see um, uh, Christopher Chris Lloyd. Yeah. The, the
0: the two you mainly see when they're humans are Christopher Lloyd and Vincent Schiavelli. I can't remember if you see Dan Hedaya in a human form. <laughs>
2: that's so weird. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah.
0: Again, that's another one, what I just mentioned. Another great actor in this film, Vincent Schiavelli. I love him. I love that guy to bits because he's such a weird looking man. Yeah, there's some but great, great. He has a real presence about him and the real way in which he delivers lines. I, I love that guy.
1: sing this song for you, Peggy. No, oh,
2: Peggy. And anybody
1: else <laughs>
2: Um, let's let's quickly uh, touch upon the score, right? Yeah. I know you like your music, but what <laughs> I always I love about this film, the music's done by a guy called Michael Boddicker. Yes, and I love and that he... connection Boddicker with Peter Weller and another <laughs> yeah. RoboCop connection. That he, that I think, the next film that Weller starred in after this, I, I could yeah. be wrong, is RoboCop, and he's he's killed uh, by Boddicker. <laughs>
0: But an, a, another cool thing about it is he, is he, he, actually involved in another in a, of um, a number of great eighties like genre films as well, or eighties films that people are uh, holding reverence. Oh yeah, I'm not necessarily be brilliant, but you know ones that people remember and go, "Oh, I remember that film and all the rest." Because he, he did the work, he did uh, synth work on Flashdance. No way, no way out. And do you remember
2: Enemy Mine? Oh, I love Enemy Mine. He did the score to
0: Enemy Mine as well.
2: Oh my god! Yeah. I'm just I'm reading up. I just clicked on his name because uh, after mentioning it, I was just like, oh, "I've got to check that out." Um, he's God. He worked on a load of Michael Jackson stuff, playing the synth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he did scores. Weirdly, with
0: his name being Bodica, he actually worked as a musician on Robocop Three. <laughs> Uh, Free Jack, do you remember that? Oh my, is that the...
2: Um, Emilio Estevez? Mick Jagger is in it as well. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to hunt Amelia Estevez down, isn't he? Oh, wow. It's, and... Uh, Battlestar Galactica? Weirdly, as we were talking about it the other week, FX2 as well. That's odd. And yeah. uh, The Fly. The Fly? Yeah. Um, An additional music and score and The Fly... Know, right. That's a work on it. Uh, he didn't compose it. No, no, no. Additional music underscore. I think uh, oh, it, that's he, connected with Michael Jackson. Maybe I don't know. He's
0: mainly no, known for working with synths and um, keyboards and the like so I think he he's ensemble and um, uh,
2: session work on a lot of films,
1: but know, some really
2: cool ones as well. I think. Do you know that Randy Newman film? Short or song? Short people. That song. Yeah, he did. He worked on that. And I love L.A. (laughs) It's really random shit. I'm bad. Jesus, Celine Dion, Neil Diamond. (laughs) This guy's uh, Diana Ross, (laughs) Lionel Richie.
1: I think it's safe.
2: I think it's pretty
0: safe to say that Michael Boddicker is 80s as fuck. He worked with
2: (laughs) the Hoff. (laughs) Yeah, he's he's 80s as fuck, isn't he? (laughs) <laughs> that that's amazing that is amazing um so yeah i what do you think of the score i love it i, 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 I love
0: it there's 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 a a background score that runs through the entire film of like um, essentially just synth it yeah but you only get the real noticeable score over those end credits i love that tune that do 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 once Da-da-da-da-da. it's in your head, it, once it's in your head, it will not get out. Yep. I love that watch,
2: music with the credits. If you
0: watch Buckaroo Banzai, that tune is going to be in your head for fucking
2: weeks. Ah, oh, <laughs> that is genuinely oh. ace.
0: Oh. I, I, I'm very tempted to actually put a link on uh, the uh, Facebook group to that sequence. Do it. Just fucking watch it. Do it.
2: Do it. Do it. Do it.
0: If you haven't seen Buckaroo Banzai, here we go. I'm going to convince you to watch it. Bam. Yeah.
2: <laughs> At end of the day end of the day that needs to be that needs to be um, needs to be done I if you so. watch one piece of film footage this year uh, <laughs> listener uh, watch Buckaroo Banzai's end credits <laughs> yeah it will it will make you go back and watch the film so final thoughts on Buckaroo Banzai uh, mid take it away dude Oh, a oh, oh, couple of other things. Oh,
0: please, by all means, cool. go for it. Stuff we we did mention we haven't come back to. Um, there was two things. There was uh, the proposed sequel. Oh, and the Crime so- League. Yes.
2: Yes. Um,
0: f- from one of the treatments, um, it was mentioned at a number. I'm, I'm going to very quickly go over this because we're running to the end of this and we've also got... a. Our top three and recommendations, to in. So I'll quickly summarise this part. Um, yeah, um, Buckery Banzai was not a success. It bombed in the box office, uh, in no small part due to the films it was up against. It was up against Star Trek Three, Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and Ghostbusters. It didn't have a hope in hell. So it bom- it bombed. How? How was it supposed to work? You know, you're up it against bo- them. It, it it bombed and it also bankrupted Shearwood. but sorry put a diner on that but it it is a great film really I'm really bigging it up here aren't I Um, Jesus Christ (laughs) what I'm trying what I'm trying to illustrate here is it's a brilliant film it really is it's a tough sell many people didn't get it it was put up against ridiculously big films that were obviously going to do better than it it didn't have a hope in hell yeah but it did have big aspirations and one of those aspirations was, was to continue And um, in the original script for Buckery Banzai, um, he he was going to have an arch enemy. He was going to have his own Moriarty. Oh, that is so cool. That was basically named, name dropped a number of times during the script. But when they saw things weren't going to go their way, through test screenings and the like, they deleted all uh, mention of him. And it was a guy called Hanoi Zan. Hanoi Zan. Don't they mention it? he's still in the film? I'm sure that name I, I dropped. Think, I think there may be one mention of him in the film that actually remains, but most um, most mentions of the character were removed when they realised after test screenings that it probably wasn't going to happen. But, um, yeah, Hanoi Zan, Um he, he was never seen, but he was referenced uh, by Buckaroo and by other characters. Um, and he was basically the supposed head of a crime syndicate, called the World Crime League and it was also the man who murdered Buckaroo's parents and his wife Peggy now, at the end of the film we get a uh, Buckaroo Banzai will return scroll. you know like James Bond
2: Yeah,
0: it actually says Buckaroo Banzai will return against the World Crime League oh. that was the post sequel he was basically going to get his Moriarty and go up against him and it didn't happen which is a damn shame because that would have been really cool because it would have fleshed the character out even more and um, given another another side to the character when you, you see him uh, match wits with someone who was is equal but mirror opposite. I think that would have been really cool. Unfortunately, it wasn't to be. But um, there was one person who also thought it was a great idea and wanted to translate it to TV, and that person was Kevin Smith. Yep an absolute colossal fan of buckaroo banzai he fucking loves buckaroo banzai but probably about as much as i do and he was a hundred percent behind turning buckaroo banzai into a tv show because he realized the rich backstory and how much you mm. could do with his character doesn't translate to film if you want to do it properly you have to translate it to television and that's what he was going to do unfortunately though as with kevin smith he has a million and one things going on at once and it was one of those things that unfortunately got sidetracked and never happened
1: ah
2: do you know why
0: it there was something else he was doing at the time nope i and it was because he just
2: had a ridiculously overloaded work schedule no 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 what happened was he was all ready to do it and he announced he was going to do it um (laughs) And he, he he really wanted to to go forward with it, and he was like, "Yeah, let's let's go." Uh, but what had happened was, uh, I think the the original studios that he was going to do the film uh, the series with mm. uh, they're about to produce a series, um, but the original creators started getting a lawsuit against him by MGM. Or a film
0: company? No, this makes sense. Because it's also a reason why Buckaroo Banzai, up until Arrow got its release, um, and I think MGM put a DVD release out of it a couple of years before that, you couldn't find it anywhere. Because there was an ongoing legal dispute between the creators and MGM about the intellectual intellectual property that was Buckaroo Banzai. So um, for many years, it was a lost oddity but no one could watch unless you had a VHS copy
2: somewhere. And then <laughs> and, they released uh, that vanilla disc, didn't they? There was nothing on it.
0: That that was the MGM release I was talking about. That was yeah. the DVD release that MGM put out. They didn't put any real uh, love or care into it. It was a vanilla release. And I think it was basically them throwing their toys out and perhaps saying, this is still ours.
2: <laughs> yeah. Being luckily,
0: luckily, Arrow managed to get the license for it and they gave it the love and attention it deserved.
2: Man, I... I know I know there was a comic book series uh released and I was really looking forward to that cuz they were going to start doing the I think the comic book series they were going to try again to do the Crime League yeah but they stopped I think it fell apart uh, I don't know why I, maybe they didn't sell enough or whatever so they didn't go to start doing the Crime League it seems like almost go very... to do it There's a very complex legal history to Buckery Banzai because
0: it was put out by 20th Century Fox. It was originally supposed to be put out by MGM, who didn't. But when it comes out on DVD, it was put out by MGM. It's very confusing.
2: Yeah, very, very confusing. confusing.
0: And it probably explains why it took so long for it to actually make it to
2: digital home video, basically. Right, so we've, we've at least covered that. Yeah. <laughs> so,
0: yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy now. I, I yeah. just had
2: to get no, and no, bits. and you're right. You're right. I, <laughs> I, I'm glad you brought me up because I'd only get pissed off after we'd recorded. And why didn't we mention that? I, th- I think it's important to mention because it showed it's it still shows, in my
0: opinion, that it's an idea that has legs. It has an idea that deserves to branch out and grow and become something more than it is. Um, it's already a great film, in my opinion. Um, it could be better by adding more to it. I think they're on about trying to make a series of books as well about it. I still hope at some point, after all the legal wranglings died out, sort out someone puts the right amount of money behind it, the right amount of backing from the right people that it will eventually get made into a TV show because Kevin Smith is right. Yeah. He's a hundred percent right. Buckery rap, bands. I should be a TV show. And I firmly believe someday it will happen when I have no idea, but I, th- I think it will. It's too good an idea just to let die.
2: Now, in, what, what would you be your closing thoughts in the film?
0: My closing thoughts in the film? I won't try and summarise it, because it's, as we've <laughs> discovered, it's, <laughs> it's damn near impossible <laughs> to do, unless you've got a couple of hours spare. spare. Um, but, um, I don't know. I mean, if you haven't seen the film, I would say, um, if you're a fan of genre cinema, you're a fan of off-the-wall ideas it's fun. Um, f- f- a fun film a funny film an action-packed film absolute bonkers fucking invention um some great performances from the assembled actors who are absolutely perfect in the parts they play um you could, yeah just like you're saying if you just want to see a fucking fun film i mean the first time you watch it you'll probably go meh well yeah <laughs> yeah
2: what were those two it idiots while.
0: talking about <laughs> leave it a little while let it simmer in your brain let that theme tune bob around in your head because it will it will for a very long time and then go back to that film Rewatch it the second time you watch it you'll take more from it again leave it for a while that theme tune happily bob around in your head next time you come back you'll take even more from it it's 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 an old adage, but it's the film that keeps on giving and it really does. And if you fall in love with it in much the same way that I did, um, yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a mainstay in your collection for a long time. I think.
2: Nice. Nice. I like that. Um, it might, my, my opinion, uh, I think it's, it's a brilliant film. Um, there was another fact I had, I, I, forgot to mention, uh, Wes Anderson likes the film. There you go, then there's your stamp of approval right there, that man can do no wrong. Okay. And you know The Life Aquatic with Steve Sisu, my favourite yeah. Wes Anderson film. Yeah. Um He the end, the final sequence, you've got the film's lead in a long walking sequence with all the characters yeah. behind him. And that yeah. includes Jeff Goldblum.
1: Yeah.
2: And it's his nod to that film. <laughs> it is great. Yeah. I I I, thought, <laughs> I think that's wicked. Um I would say I think this is a perfect example of a incredibly imaginative, intelligent, fun, fun, oh so much fun! Um, it's fun. It's ridiculous fun. Yeah, I think it's a perfect example of of a uh, a series of of good film where you there are literally it's so many good ideas they put too much into one film, and mm. I think. That's exactly that's exactly its issue, I think.
0: It it tries to shoe on about three or four films worth of lore yeah. into one film.
2: It, as I say... That's we, where it falls down. I yeah, and, and like I said before, when you watch this film, first time you ever watch it, you feel like, okay, what the fuck have I... Have I your, your head will be swimming by them? the end, but ha, you will have yeah. enjoyed it. You'll be like, have I edited... Has, has this been edited? Like, the film, has it been edited out of two massive chunks of the film have gone... And I've walked out. Some bad editing. We've missed something in the film, (laughs) or plot points and whatnot. The reality is, like you say, because of the way the film was made, with the amount, the sheer amount of scripts being created before the film was created, uh, having that three hundred page encyclopedia to go by uh, when they were doing it, so they got all the backstories for everything. It's great when you you know what you're doing, and you're in on it. But if you're not, if you're not. It will leave audiences going, "What?" and and even though it is amazing, and it is amazing, I, I do love this film. It is. It almost feels like what they they shot themselves in the foot by doing it this way, and they could have just done with a more simplistic, but still bonkers, first film that introduces it. This would be the second and the trilogy to cap it all off, because you could have put threads about uh, Buckaroo's nemesis through the first and the second one. So you're like, it's that guy's name again. And then, bang, we finally see him. So the last film would have been the crime organisation. In, in,
0: a, in a perfect world, that is exactly how it should pan out.
2: Yeah. Uh, but y- you've
0: got a respect for the way that it was done, because as you said previously, uh, I think it's a, a perfect analogy of the way this film was made. It's punk filmmaking. Yeah, man. Some it was Some first-timers. Taking a fucking chance on a fucking insane, and idea. and I have
2: nothing but respect for that because they made a <laughs> it's just completely amazing. original film. Yeah, and I mean,
0: um, it is that's one thing you can say about this completely totally original, fucking original. Yeah, you 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 all watch it and go, hang on, this is from this or this is from this. No, other things have taken influence from Buckaroo Banzai.
2: Yeah, yeah, and
0: little 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 tiny things do exist in other films that have just taken influence from this one because it, it is it is a respected genre classic in, in circles of people who enjoy pop culture cinema. Um, you know, people will reference Buckaroo Banzai quite fondly and for good reason.
2: Well, it's like, um, I mean, for God's sake, Rawhide, Clancy Brown's character gets killed in the film. Yeah. Right. But there are, there are moments in that film. There's, there was something that came up later that it ended up being, um, a these characters that comes out afterwards, that these characters in suspended animation, he's not dead. Yeah, yeah. The, the, they
0: were they were gonna go when it went to the World Crime League. He was gonna be back and good as good to go and everything, and they were gonna fill in the backstory of what happened after the Electroid, um encounter. Yeah, just never got the chance to, and they never got the chance to flesh that out, and you, you don't really understand that like the character's not dead. It's unfortunate, but yeah.
2: And then there's um, there's there's another thing as well, which I which I like. Twentieth Century Fox, at this period of time, I think for filmmaking, took more chances, and I like that. I mean, yeah, for God's sake, well, Big Trouble China. It, there was...
0: It, was, it was no flash in the pan. I'm giving them twelve million dollars to make this, yeah, film. yeah. But no, this is my I point. Mean, it 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 didn't make it didn't make that money back. It, it it took a a fraction of that in the in the box office. It was um six point three million. It took in the box office. So it, it, it was not even
2: half their budget back.
0: And uh, it was a number of reasons. It was a very hard film to try and sell. It, they scheduled it abysmally against some surefire hits. They didn't really do themselves many favours, in my opinion, but there you go. But, but again,
2: but, yeah. what, what what I was going to say what I'm, is, like, with 20th Century Fox, they take more risks during this period, which I love. And yeah. you have films like Big Trouble in Little China. You have um, films like this. Uh, they were the only ones who took a chance on Star Wars. Uh, all these kind of things that you, you see, and you're like, wow, man. And, that you know people wouldn't have necessarily have done um i i love i love because it's crazy it's my kind of cra- it's like big trouble china is my kind of crazy and it's you can yeah. tell that there there are links it, it, to it, it's, films. It's, it's
0: the same kind of off the wall isn't it yeah
2: and i i love that um and uh, in closing i think i think the fact that they took the risk to make this film and we are now living in a site where there's very few original films, in my personal opinion. Mm. And this was a genuinely off-the-wall interesting idea. No franchise. It was a franchise that should have happened, but never never became one. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. And it's something I think everybody should really give a, give a go and really kind of appreciate what they're trying to do. Because they're not just trying to do just anything. They're trying to have fun and and i i really appreciate that and i do really love this film so that's me in closing Right Right then,
0: it's that time.
2: Go for it, Mr. Mid.
0: We're moving into our top three this time, and um, we've mentioned this word quite a lot during during the course of this podcast, off-the-wall, off-the-wall movies. We're going to give our top three off-the-wall movies. (laughs) Go for it. And there's going to be some interesting choices in here. Some diverse choices, I some think.
2: Some diverse choices. I'm... I'm... <laughs> my number... much more diverse. Can, can, I, can I go first in my first one? You can go first, man. Go I on. will go first. Um Right. <clears throat> my first one is going to be a film called Itchy the Killer. Oh, man.
0: And
2: you want an <laughs> off-the-wall, bonkers film.
0: Good old Takeshi Miike. <laughs>
2: oh, my God. Um,
0: you can pick any Takeshi Miike film and it fits that mould, doesn't it? It's a brilliant film. It's really crazy. I, I love yeah. Itchy the Killer. I, I do love Itchy the Killer. It's Again, so scary. It's another one of those films that's an incredibly hard sell. So <laughs> <laughs> very hard sell because it's a dark subject matter in that film.
2: Uh, yes. Basically, uh, listener, if you don't know what Itchy the Killer is, it is a, uh, a, a Japanese film. Um, uh, and it's, yep. And it's based on a manga and it's about, <clears throat> right. Okay. It's about a character called itchy who has a lot of mental health issues, a lot of mental health issues, but he has this perfect gift. He happens to be the, uh, greatest killer ever. He can kill anyone. He's, um, He's just so amazing at killing. But he's also very sweet and innocent and, and good at his heart. But he just happens to be this tickly, um
0: He's pretty fucked up.
2: Yeah, I mean, the opening <laughs> of the film is him having a wank while a prostitute's getting uh, beaten up by a pimp. Oh,
1: my
0: God. The way in which they present the opening titles. <laughs> oh, it lets you know what kind of film you're about to
2: watch. Yes. Tell them
0: how the opening titles appear, Chris.
2: No, no, I... Oh. <laughs> Right. Okay. So. Right.
0: The, you can't sell this. It's fucked up.
2: <laughs> how, how the fuck do I describe this? He, he's
0: having a moment, isn't he? He's but, having a wank. He's having a wank. On, yeah, to on, a pimp on, beating up
2: a bloody prostitute. He, he wanks on a ficus. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yes. Um, yeah, so, so he's doing that, um, and, and then there's all these other, yeah, but basically, uh, the best way of describing it is, like, imagine a bunch of, uh, serial killers trying to kill each other, uh, to find out who's the number one killer, and it wants to be the number one killer. Um, you've got triplets, or, you know, you've got twins that used to be triplets, who can, who like to kill, uh, and their are dressed they dress like bears. Um no, the the sleuth the
0: sleuth dogs.
2: Oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh then you have a complete um freak who uh only gets any kind of um release, any kind of uh feeling when he's either murdering people or he's he's hurting himself. Uh and he's ended up putting piercings all on his face, he's got he's in the front cover of the, the, the film. It's got like a Chelsea um, greener, isn't it? Yes, and it's held together with piercings. And there's a scene where a guy punches him in the face and his whole jaw because uh, he takes the piercings out. He holds, like, yeah, <laughs> he, he just basically like a snake, so he can chew the skin off this guy's hand. Uh, it's just mental, um, yeah. So there, there you go. I think if you want an off the wall film with <laughs> the craziest violence. People being tortured with the most bonkers way, like, you know. It's about oil. as comic
0: book as you can get, really. It's nuts. It's really nuts. It's an insane, insane
2: film. Um, yeah. And, I mean, it got banned. It got banned because of the For a number violence. of years. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, it, it took a number of years for an uncensored copy to actually reach this country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: And yeah. even then, you're just like, what the hell? So, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's a crazy film. Uh, if you want to watch an off-the-wall film, like, huh. Okay. Hmm. Pitchy <laughs> the Killer, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Try try watching that. Now it's over to Mister Mid. Okay. Um, my first choice will be a Scanner Darkly. Oh, good choice.
0: Yeah. Um, it's uh, Richard Linklater's adaptation of Philip K. Dick's book of the same name. Um, it's all Linklater return to something he um used previously in his film Waking Life. It's a gorgeous effect, and that was rotoscoping, which I think is actually kind of a lost art form.
2: It looks beautiful.
0: R- rotoscoping looks beautiful, and um, it's done in a way in A scan of Darkly. It's actually quite different, I think, for rotoscoping.
2: Oh, yeah, completely it's, off it's the all, wall. Brilliant.
0: It, it's, it's kind of like, at times, it looks like a moving watercolour. It's insane, isn't it? It's just like... Mm blocks and colours and sometimes people's faces aren't even clear and they're melding into one another and some really um, bonkers invention in, in the way that he um, uses rotoscoping in this film. Um, it, it, so yeah, you know, it was a film that was basically filmed in, to explain rotoscoping just in case anyone doesn't completely understand it. The film was filmed uh, in, in your standard way and then each cell of that film was animated in post-production. And uh, it works beautifully in tandem with the film's sort of um, future shock presentation of a world where um, sort of like covert surveillance and um, the presence of a highly addictive, uh, mind-altering drug create like this surreal sort of um, hyper-reality of um, paranoia, very trippy, like, very trippy visuals and there's like a very very like rich vein of like um almost nihilistic sort of subversion to it it's it's quite again this could have easily gone that um top three subversive film list because it it, it it's, it's got a very wicked subversive streak running through it as well um absolutely superb cast in this i mean you you can take him or leave him but Keanu Reeves is pretty fucking good in this film. Yeah, he's uh, great. Um, he, he's actually good. He, he can be very hit and miss, Keanu Reeves, but he's he's on the ball, certainly, in A Scanner of Darkly. Uh, he has to share screen time with Robert Downey Jr. He's brilliant in this, Downey Jr. Steals this fucking film. Because when Robert Downey Jr. is allowed to just go completely gonzo and do what he wants to do, he's absolutely magnetic. You he's cannot- like a tweaker, isn't he? You can't take your fucking eyes off yeah. him in this film. He's just so fucking there in the moment. He he completely chews the scenery, but in the best possible way. Um you've got Woody Harrelson, uh, Rory Cochran, who's um genre stalwart from like the early late early nineties, late nineties, early 90s. 90s early I'll get it right in a minute. And um Winona Ryder. They are all absolutely awesome in this film. And um yeah, I think it's just like a really great adaptation of probably one of the lesser known philip k dick works but um i mean i suppose a lot of people these days are knowing dick from the likes of blade runner and obviously um electric it, a lot of his short stories have been turned into electric dreams um the tv series that's currently running at the moment uh and if you dig in philip k dick you'll certainly dig a scanner darkly I
2: really really strong film mm-hmm. it didn't get as much uh, credit as it should have in my opinion it didn't it was was one of those films that got lost in the mire but it was a
0: fucking great one Mm. um i i i I caught it purely because i already know the book anyway so i wanted to check out the film version i'm glad i did because it was great but a lot of people missed it because it just wasn't marketed great and a lot of people weren't familiar as familiar with philip k dick now probably as, as much as they are now even um so um yeah, check it out. It's
2: a really good film. Right. Uh for my number two. Uh, number two. Uh my number two is going to be the uh nineteen eighties classic. Uh well nineteen eighty two anyway. Uh Pink Floyd's The Wall.
0: Nice.
2: For uh, ironically off the wall films. Um so you have like Alan Parker directors it and uh, you have Gerald uh, Scarfe to be the animator, and you've got the the wall itself is essentially Pink Floyd's own rock opera. Um, it's was, it
0: was very much their that, time, wasn't it, really? It
2: was. That's exactly it. And I think uh, um, you watch this film, and if you want to see two hours of darkness and <laughs> um, and shame and how people have been yeah mo- uh, motivated by the tragedies of uh, war and the past and all the kind of things that they've had to go through in their lives i think pink floyd's the wall is for you um mm. if anything uh, i can't stand bob geldof and it's the only thing i've ever seen him in that's made me not <laughs> want to kill him uh, maybe it's cuz he shaves his nipples off maybe it isn't i don't know um, That's a big part of it, right there. It could. He's he's <laughs> mutilating himself on camera. That might have been part of it. Um, but it's really good. You didn't good. play that on Looper, Anthony, do
0: you? No, no, no. no.
2: <laughs> As I look at it at the wall, <laughs> making my own little uh, list. I've just got a book that says "Kill Geldoff over and make over a little again.
0: Special alone time moment with a ficus.
2: <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> That's going to be my my grand opus. My my opus. That is the opus of my life. <laughs> will be when I finally take down Geldof. Uh, you heard it here first. <laughs> so, so yeah, Pink Floyd's the Wall is, um, is really good. I mean, apart from the fact that it looks into the psychology behind uh, loss, because uh, the character of Pink uh, is experiencing the loss of his father in the Second World War and how they deal with that and the idea of identity in a world where um, everything's grey, And what you do and like heroin addiction and um, trying to find love and the complexities of uh, the human experience and how everything is generally grey and how we defend our emotions by bricking ourselves up behind our own metaphorical walls. This is a great, great film. It is dark. You will need to eat a Prozac covered ice cream uh, laced with um, happy, happy drugs. Uh, at the end uh, of watching happy, this film. <laughs> I, I once heard of a friend of mine um, in uh, college who had a mate who decided to watch this film whilst on magic mushrooms. Uh, I, I think the only person who would want to ever do that would be insane. Um, <laughs> uh, allegedly, allegedly, he decided to put his uh, foot through the front of the TV uh, when things started getting a bit too weird. So that's probably about the first 10 minutes of the film, I'd imagine. Um, when you have Hammers goose-stepping uh, along, <laughs> along <laughs> to uh, the establishment of how uh, education was portrayed to the character Pink in his younger younger years to deal with the trauma of not having a, a father, um, yeah, it's messed up to say the least and it has one of the greatest endings ever with the trial uh scene where you literally have a judge who is an arse um <laughs> interesting side note people may not know this the person responsible for creating all the character designs um and the animation for pink floyd the wall did all the character designs uh for a- another animated feature and when you realize what it is you're like shit yeah it's obvious when you look at them and then you think huh, how do you go from ass talking judges, goose-stepping hammers and uh, abuse and horrible kind of imagery to Disney's Hercules? <laughs> he did all the character designs for yeah. that. And you're like, you don't realise it, but when you look at the characters where they are, you're like, oh my God, yeah. they like, how, how could you not have spotted it that? Exactly. Oh, I, it's a really, really off-the-wall film. So it's from <laughs> off-the-wall get to the wall and that's my uh number two over to you mr mid okie doke my number two is
0: one of the two most what the fuck films i have ever seen the other one is coming directly after <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> this one is swiss army man
2: oh my god yeah <laughs> i watched that recently uh, yeah. yeah
0: oh my god um what do you say? Yeah. Daniel Radcliffe is um, a multi-purpose corpse. He's the Swiss army man of the time. <laughs> <sighs> and strikes up an unlikely friendship with uh, Paul Dano's suicidal castaway. He's like castaway on this island. And um he comes across this corpse. Um, the corpse is called Manny. That's an excellent name for a corpse. Uh, <laughs> and he discovers that Manny... Um, has a number of uses, <laughs> to what? say the least. Yeah, he, he, he's a flatulent jet ski. They realised he, 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 Manny he, he, he farts a lot, and because he farts a lot, uh, when you put him in water, he actually propels himself. So he, he yeah, he's, he's a rudimentary jet ski. Um, uh, he, he he seems to be a bottomless water supply. Oh, he he's constantly. Oh
2: God, spart- yeah. that's vile, I need a drink Jesus, a water dispenser
0: yeah (laughs) and uh, an extremely unorthodox um, compass (laughs) that's so fucking wrong (laughs) I'm not going to go too much into it because I want you to watch the film but yeah Uh, yeah, uh, and um, also An Unlikely Friend and Saviour. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just um, it's a deeply odd film, by, <laughs> at, at no mistake. But um, actually, by its close, it's an oddly heartwarming one as well.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, it,
2: yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you oh. see something and you think, Okay. It, it, no, but the close-up film it is actually quite heartwarming.
0: But y- you'll still like be watching the very last sequence of that film, going, "Oh my fucking god!" You'd want to you, know it, if
2: it's feasibly possible for the human <laughs> body to use gas to propel itself as a jet ski. <laughs> I, I definitely think it, that would be. Just it.
0: that? It's Harry Potter.
2: <laughs> you're a wizard, has it, Harry. Oh no, you're a corpse. You're a jet ski. you're
0: you're, you're a compass propelling people along with your erection
2: yeah I don't want to see Harry uh, Potter's wand anytime soon um yeah yeah
0: um yeah I'm not going to go I'm not going to go into much more details Swiss Army Man but I will say if you want to watch a particularly fucked up film that absolutely typifies the words off the wall yes Swiss
2: Army Man i think i can i think i can beat that go on with my number one you know it's me mid you know mm. i love a bloody good melt movie um so this is my number one there's only one melt movie that you could even be mentioning here isn't there and that would be street trash mid uh yes. a beautiful <laughs> film about a coming of age film about a young uh homeless man on the streets uh in 1987 america and he's learning to find his way with his brother. And he lives with a, a bunch of homeless who live in a community where there is... Uh, they live literally in a car junkyard uh, with other homeless people. One of whom is a Vietnam vet who has a bone knife fashioned from the femur of a dead uh, Vietcon that he made himself. And, uh... Ah... Uh, how the hell do I... Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even pretend to try and make this sound uh, classy because there is no class. Uh, right, this film <clears throat> is essentially a film about uh, homeless people on the streets who basically are uh, cr- drinking cheap booze called Viper. And Viper is a... Um, this cheap booze found in this horrible little liquor store and the horrible owner of it find, wants to find some cheap so he can just get rid of it and he finds this crappy liquid called Viper and it's just stashed in a, in a box container under the stairs and he's like, oh, I'll just sell it. And whatever the hell has happened to this liquid inside has caused uh, quite a horrendous thing to happen to anybody who decides to drink it. Um, th- this vagrant gets his first uh, the, he starts the film, he's being chased around and uh, he, he's being chased by people, by other vagrants and things there's a big chase sequence at the beginning and uh, uh, this other vagrant finds this stuff called Viper and he uh, drinks it and he drinks it and this old smashed out um, sort of right. building site and he decides to start well, he doesn't decide to do anything, he starts to melt, um, <laughs> <Sight> to melt. <laughs> and <laughs> As you do, you decide to melt, yeah. Really uh, <laughs> he starts going blue and green and all the multiple colours of the Technicolor yawn as he proceeds to dissolve into a human puddle uh, inside the thing he was sitting down on while drinking this Viper, which happened to be an old used toilet. Uh, desperate to try and sa- save himself, he reaches out uh, to grab the only thing that he that he can used for purchase to get himself out of the toilet. In this case, happens to be a long toilet chain, uh, which he, as his body uh, starts to pull more weight down, as it liquefies, he flushes his remains down the toilet. Uh, it's uh, a beautiful beginning sequence, and I think it's one that, for all the family, um, the, 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 they made this film, the, the maker of this film, uh, Roy uh, Froonkis, I think his name is, he wrote mm. the screenplay because he, he wanted to democratically offend, I'm quoting now, every group on the planet, and as a result, the youth market embraced it as a renegade work and it played midnight shows. Um, right. Little... It's, it's one of those films that like, typifies midnight matinee, isn't it? Oh my God. There's so yeah. much weird, wrong stuff in this. A, a a woman is murdered and her her body is repeatedly raped by hobos. And the owner of the junkyard finds this naked body, dead body, and before calling police, decides to have a bit for himself. And uh, when the police do the scans of the body and they're checking all the different kinds of uh, semen that's inside the corpse, uh, they manage to identify that the last one, which is the junkyard owner, has syphilis. And he's like, shit, I've got syphilis? And sort of thing, it's like, how... Do you not think this is wrong? There's another Vietnam uh, war vet who's a police officer, and they have the mother all fights with this other Vietnam vet with his knife. Um, There is people exploding, a gangster who melts down the stairs. um, (laughs) Another uh, vagrant gets his cock chopped off. And people start throwing it around, trying to work out what to do with it, uh, (laughs) as you do. Um, That's a storyline in itself. Interesting enough, side note to this, uh, a young man um, eager to get his purchase on the Hollywood ladder uh, is uh, in this film, and he works as a grip, and that was Brian Singer. Yeah. And uh, he was driving (laughs) some of the special effects from one site Uh, to the film site from the special effects lab and the police stopped him and they looked in the back of his car and lo and behold, what was the whole, uh, the back of the car full of lots of severed penises. Um, (laughs) And and Branson was like, how do I, how do I talk about, how do I get out of this one? (laughs) In many ways are imitating life um, because there's a very good chance they weren't actual penises used for the film. Uh, by the sounds of what brian singer's been up to <laughs> so um that's that uh one thing that's going to throw everyone the film's directed by a guy called j michael muro right and uh you think who, who makes a film like street trash because it came out in, like 1987 yeah this guy is a bafta award nominated cinematographer and director he's known for his steadicam work right he worked uh, on The Abyss, Terminator 2, True Lies, Titanic, um, it Dances with Wolves. Uh, yeah. And he gave the world a dissolving tramp flushing himself down a toilet. And he gave us street trash. I <laughs> mean, what is wrong with the world? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, I would love to do a pod on this film at some point. Uh I think do a, be a melt series, maybe. <laughs> uh, so, so that's my number one, Mister Mid. Over to you.
0: Cool. Wow. Uh, yeah, my last choice is um, probably the second most "What the Fuck" film I've ever seen. <laughs> um, it, it's a, it's another recent one. Uh, oh God! It is the. What can you say? It's the supremely, supremely fucked up. The Greasy Strangler. It's
2: bloody horrible, isn't it?
0: <laughs> Such a fucking odd film. Everything about it. Um, it's the tale of a. I'm even trying to describe the, the storyline of this film, the tale of a father and son. Uh, they basically run a business giving disco tours. <laughs> of their neighbourhood. They're really into disco, the pair of them.
1: Oh and, uh, god.
0: <laughs> the, 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 they give disco tours of their neighbourhood. And um yeah, um basically uh, this neighbourhood is also uh plagued by a uh sequence of murders at the hands of uh the titular slippily one who oh. lathers himself in Greece And strangles people. So it's not just a clever title.
2: (laughs) I watched this with SDC, right? And there was one moment in this film where we both started heaving. (laughs) And I was proud that was only the one moment because there were plenty of others that were so bloody close. There's a lot in this film. There's a lot. (laughs) A dude gets his nose ripped off. Yeah. And there's nothing left but the snotty hole. And he dips his finger into the hole and licks it. And I just, both of us were going, No! <laughs> it was just so fucking gross. But it, it, Just it, thinking it, about it, it makes my stomach turn.
0: It, it's it, it's like a queue of moments like that, though, isn't it? It's just like one after the other.
2: I like he's get, uh, getting clean process.
0: Yeah, he, he, he goes to the car wash and just turns it on.
2: And it's just screaming while those things are going boom, 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 against his skin. <laughs>
0: Just constantly screaming, No nah! It's amazing, yeah. Um, and he, yeah, he he gets away with it because the the person who runs the car wash is blind, <laughs> so you can't see. There's a greased-up man washing himself in
2: his car wash. It's so wrong, uh, like on well, so many levels. It's, it's it's just
0: absurdly gonzo filmmaking. It's it's like street like street trash. It's deliberately provocative and offensive. But also
2: strangely compelling there viewing. Are some fucking crazy <laughs> sex scenes in this film. Yeah, <laughs> with the girl from bloody Eastbound and Down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, what is going on? And like the the acting in it reminds me of. It's almost like if the the people who made Napoleon Dynamite, because those kind of weird, bizarre, um, off the wall interactions were one. Yeah. Of them, decided you know what let's make the most messed up film we can think of <laughs> and you get that and yeah the deaths in it are vile there's some really surreal moments going i want the chips no <laughs> this is what i'm saying get the chip that that scene is just like what yeah, yeah. is going on and they drag it out for like longer it's than a thing. five minute scene in it but they do it deliberately and mm. he's just
0: saying the same thing over and over again it's just like it's almost like they're purposely trying to test the viewers'
2: patience. <laughs> it's like, you know, there, there, are <laughs> scenes, there are scenes in that film that it's almost like they were, like, thinking, wouldn't it be funny if we made it look like we cast a bunch of people who don't know how to act, and we only recorded their first take of <laughs> saying the lines, but didn't give them any direction so the pauses in between the speeches between the characters are so stunted and artificial and forced and bizarre that it it's completely unnatural and but it it's works so weird the end of the film mid <laughs> is madness in a can
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my god you
2: don't see it coming you don't...
0: Well, I, I don't think... I think there's a number of things in this film that you don't see coming,
2: to be honest with you, mate. Right, the, think... stru- the structure of this film, in my opinion, would have gone... F- right, boy Boyu's a bit of a nerd. Dad is a freaky, horrible, greasy, ex-disco dancer, uh, greasy strangler. He basically uh, <laughs> sets his sights upon his son's new uh, love interest, uh, starts killing people and then decides to start um, threatening her or something. Son becomes the hero, kills dad. They go and make greasy love somewhere uh, or something like that. So, you know, the kind of like a bit of a happy ending. No, no not no, even close. No, not even no. Very no. silly. It's so odd and <laughs> horrid and strange and just, it's like a fever dream of madness. It, really is. it is. It's just an absolutely insane film. Good choice.
0: But it, uh, I think it's a film that beautifully illustrates what an off the wall film can and should do.
2: <laughs> so <laughs> weird. <laughs> oh. Right then? That was some interesting, interesting picks right there. Yeah. Recommendations. Recommendations. mid listing. Are you on it? Recommendations.
0: Right then. My first one is a film, uh, it's a Netflix film, don't let that put you off, it's actually quite a good one. Uh, this is a Spanish supernatural horror called Veronica. Oh, yeah,
2: you wrote your blog on that, haven't you, recently?
0: Uh, I did a blog piece on it recently, it's from uh, Paco Plaza, who did the Wreck series, I don't know if you guys yeah, remember the yeah. early noughties?
2: Brilliant That's, series of films.
0: Brilliant Scared series. Scared the shit
2: of- out of me. Yeah. It,
0: it, 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 plaza made zombie films fucking scary again with the wreck series he made them um i i think the thing that made them so effective is how claustrophobic they were uh, the, the, end the end of that scary, film the wreck films. films genius really yeah. incredibly made um and now uh, plaza's basically turning his eye towards supernatural horror with veronica uh which tells a story um supposedly based on true events uh, in Madrid in the early nineties, basically, um, Veronica is a young girl who is effectively raising her sisters and her brother uh, due to a workaholic mother and a deceased father, and um, she's um, very much ill at ease in her own skin. She has she's she, she's on the brink of womanhood, and she's stressed, and she's confused, and she's upset and depressed, and all these things are building up inside her. And um, she, she, she's very much missing her father. She's mission, missing that connection. And um, she, she's missing the fact that she, she's having to basically do their job, the, the job of her parents. Um, uh, some school friends use a Ouija board to contact a dead friend. And uh, Veronica, during this session, tries to contact her father. And you can pretty much guess that things don't go to plan.
2: <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to spoil anything in don't, this. Stuff. Yeah, don't say anything more. But I can guarantee you, yeah. this film's probably going to be terrifying. It's been bigged up unfairly because I've seen
0: some rather uh, false. Um, articles online telling has the scariest film to come out in years. This film's nearly unwatchable it's so scary. Don't believe any of that. It's it's not that scary but it is a scary film and it is also a very good film Um, not to downplay it in any way but um, when you hype a film up that way and you believe that hype more often than not you'll feel let down by the end of it so I I would say do not approach a Veronica expecting the best horror film ever. Do approach a Veronica expecting a damn good horror film from a guy who knows how to tap into the fear centres in our heads. It's a scary film,
2: but a very, very good one.
0: Uh, Veronica, it's currently on Netflix.
2: Right. Okay. Nice one. Uh, my first recommendation is going to be um <clears throat> it might yeah my first recommendation is going to be a board game it's going to be a board game called last night on earth and it's basically a uh, board game where you are playing the survivors uh, during a zombie apocalypse and you're the last people on earth and you have a gm who is in control of the zombies and you play these different archetype characters like the sheriff or the cheerleader and all these kind of things. And your uh, job is to survive uh, and make it through the night. Uh, it's a lot of fun. You can have a, a bunch of players playing it. Uh, it comes with its own little score soundtrack to play while you're playing it. Um, I have a lot of fun um, with friends playing this game got the expansions as well and that's when it gets really interesting because you start getting aliens and things getting involved and it becomes this giant b-movie uh board game and it's really fun so if anybody wants to try something different it is quite expensive now if you find it online but it's really worth getting um so go out get yourself a copy uh it is a lot of fun go for it
0: Right then, Uh, my second choice is um, a company, actually. Uh, They are called Dark Bunny Tees. They're a a UK t-shirt company. Basically, they specialize in uh, pop culture referencing t-shirts from like films and TV and the like, uh, of which there are numerous and really fantastic designs ranging anywhere from the likes of Karate Kid, Blade Runner, it to um maybe more niche uh prospects like la la land the stuff home alone they did a really cool set for home alone at the end of last year where um you ordered the home alone t-shirts from um Bob bunny and they came in the little nero's pizza box from home alone oh that's taste <laughs> which i thought was a really cool little touch um i thought i thought that was awesome um and um they also um, have done some stuff for TV shows like um, Black Mirror and The Stranger Things also. Um, they, they they deserve a shout out for putting some real love into what they do, um, even when they hit roadblocks, um, like what happened recently. Um, they did a recent run of really amazing uh, Ready Player One t-shirts. They did two of them, actually. And... Um, they gained some attention from Warner brothers and Warner brothers asked them to take their t-shirts off sale. Why? Because they were unofficial t-shirts and they didn't like it. And they didn't like the fact that, um, Dot Bunny T's were selling them, uh, which is a damn shame because they're absolutely amazing designs. I, I, I have one of them myself. Um, uh, uh, have you seen the official t-shirts they have released for ready player one that they're dog shit in comparison that they're, they're awful they're, they're, they're doing in places like hot topic and the like and there's just no invention to the designs they're just crap throwaway designs for t-shirts um and i, I think this um, the, the irony in a multinational company stamping on the little guys uh, the true creatives in this situation is obviously lost on them considering the subject matter of those t-shirts really i i, I thought that was quite funny um so uh, yeah i mean I, I'd, I'd show them some love dark Bunny tees they're friggin awesome dot com. look through their designs and i defy you not to want to buy a whole bunch of tees from them because they they tick all the boxes if you're into your um if you're in, into your like genre, wear T-shirts and like film T-shirts and like, you'll find some really good stuff
2: on that website.
0: Dark Bunny Tees.
2: Oh man, that sounds awesome! I know mm-hmm. that um, I used to get the Genki ones, and they were yeah. they were great. That my favourite one is a uh, uh, Hulk Bunny, and it's a great yeah. bunny going <coughs> Hulk or Bulk bunny, Mate, Hulk bunny Smash.
0: Go on to Dark Bunny Tees. You will go on there and you'll find i'd say at least half a dozen t-shirts you'll want to buy them in there there's some really oh, nice.
2: cool yeah <laughs> i i that i that i'll really want <laughs> okay so my um my second my second uh, uh recommendation is uh something that i uh, was doing during the week i've been reducing my dvd collection because we've got hundreds and i'm like we can't have it like this anymore we're just taking up too much time So what we've done, uh, we've done started digitizing everything. And I ran across something I haven't even played for years and I forgot how much fun they were. Uh, An old cartoon series I used to watch as a little boy that I absolutely adored called The Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, sort of Mm -hmm. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. It was Firestar and Iceman. And you can get these DVDs. It's the whole series. And you don't realize how many um, characters, Marvel characters, they put into this show until you start watching it again. And uh, there's things like they get Magneto in there, Electro, the Red Skull, uh, Namor. Uh, they get uh, Doctor Strange, Captain America. It's just fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, and I was just rewatched it, and my little girl was watching it with me, and we're like, this is really cool. I mean, a lot of fun <laughs> uh, watching it. And uh, yeah, I, I would recommend uh, Amazing Spider-Man and his amazing friends. So if you get a chance, you can find the DVDs dirt cheap now online. Get the whole series, get the complete series. There's three seasons, um, and it's just cool. A little tidbit as well, which is kind of fun, is uh, the guy who voices Spider-Man ended up being very popular because he voiced Bumblebee in the original 1984 Transformers series, and uh, Frank Welker, who voiced Megatron, is his best mate, who plays Bobby Drake, Iceman, <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool as well. Um, so I've been watching that, and I've been having a lot of fun with it. So, so uh, yes... Rewatch it while you can. Uh, over to you, Mr. Mid. Uh, my last pick is
0: a game. It's um, Firewatch. It's um, basically... it's uh, Watch. Firewatch. Firewatch. Um, it's a... F- How would I describe it? It's... Um, I suppose the lazy comparison would be a walking simulator a lot of people use this term walking simulator for games these days it's a game that basically means it's story driven rather than action driven i would describe it more as like a a mystery a mystery adventure i'd describe it as and it comes from independent game studio campo santo um and um it came out uh two years ago and basically um the story, um, is set in the late 1980s um 1989 i believe in the shoshone national park where um a, a guy uh called henry who um he's um a guy who's had some real hardships in his life um which are beautifully um laid out uh, in the opening moments of the game um takes a job as a, a firewatch at Shoshane national park in the summer of 1989 uh, and basically it's him alone in this park and his only other um contact human contact is um another show shane firewatch marshal called delilah uh who you never actually meet in the game you only converse with her via walkie talkie and every time you talk via walkie talkie you get a series of dialogue options about you know how you respond and all the rest of it and each dialogue option um Informs the how their relationship um, develops, and it's um, it's great because it, it's it, it enables you to become invested in these characters, uh, invested in their story, uh, invested in them um, as uh, friends and uh, their burgeoning relationship. And um, it, it's it's not a big action-packed game; it is very much a slow burn, but it it's got a great story to it it's got a a a nice um mystery behind it the the story behind the gameplay the it's a really involving mystery that will it'll tide you over a good six to eight hours in its duration it's not a very big game but um it's a very interesting one it's it's one that was right up my street and i absolutely loved it when i played it um I don't know if it's still on offer. It was on offer recently on PlayStation Store. When I picked it up, it was like seven quid, which is an absolute bargain. Um, you'll get a really enjoyable eight or so hours out of this game, and um, I'd advise you to track it down. It's available pretty much on everything, I think. it's um, You can get it on Steam. It's available on PS4. It's also available on Xbox One. So, yeah,
2: Firewatch right firewatch yeah that sounds awesome man
0: it's it's a really good game it's a, if if you if you if you're big up on story driven games rather than going for an action orientated one
2: firewatch is a good place to spend a few hours it's really cool yeah that sound, that does genuinely sound it awesome um right okay so for my uh, very final um final uh, recommendation i'm going to recommend a book uh and it's uh brian blessed it's the panther in my kitchen and <laughs> That's uh, an excellent title for a book <laughs> and it's all about his work with animals because you don't realize how uh in depth brian Blessed's worked with animals over the years uh and i mean he's a keen lover of animals he's a man with a lot of time a lot of patience a lot of love and it's all about that love and all that patience um there's some great stories. The panther in his kitchen is a callback to uh, when they they would get because you could buy animals in um, Harrods for a while, like so. Which I think is, it's disgusting. You know, I can't even think about that. But people could walk in and buy themselves an elephant or whatever, and uh, and yeah, it's it was nuts. So what he did, he started buying up all the animals and then getting through uh, various contacts and getting them sent back. And uh, Brian Blessed had a panther for a little while, uh, and it was, and because he... of course he bloody did, Brian Blessed. <laughs> so, so, uh, one thing he did, he made sure he looked after his um, he made sure he looked after his little uh, his little girl. What am I talking about? Sorry, he's um, he's, his dad, his,
0: his massive, terrifying friend,
2: yeah, his, his dad <laughs> looking after his dad because he, he,
0: oh, his dad, sorry, was yeah.
2: My panther. Yeah, I know, I know, hang on, it's it so long and so tired Um, yeah so basically his dad, his old old man um, which he holds obviously in high esteem and how much he loves him it's a theme in a lot of his work in a lot of his books and things and he discusses he wants to show his dad a a panther because one of his favourite memories is his dad taking him to see the Jungle Book uh, the first live action Jungle Book that was ever made uh, and, 1940s one yeah in, in yeah. the cinema and uh he he takes his dad in to see this panther in the kitchen and his dad gets to see and stroke this panther that's in the kitchen and it's really just it's full of really heartwarming beautiful stories little few little funny little um and anecdotes uh about the things that he's done in his life in his career but it, yeah it's it's a fascinating read i would recommend it it's out now it's it's a recently released book it's about 20 pounds hardcover get it it's totally worth getting and it was it's a really really beautiful book so that's my final recommendation oh there we go that so brings us to an end it does bring us to an end um what is next
0: next time on 5x5. We've been tightening this uh, a little while before. We finally reached it. It's time for Transformers the movie. Yes!
2: Oh, I can't <laughs> wait for this. This is going to be great. We're going to hopefully yeah. have our guest with us uh, next time um, on 5x5 who's a big uh, Transformers fan and a friend of mine uh, who's also a fellow podcaster on one of my favourite podcasts called Cutting Through the Ball on a post-truth apocalypse uh, with Ben and Mike and I'm sure we'll have Ben and Mike another time, uh, they're lovely guys but we've got Gaz hopefully joining us so I've got to make sure he's with us to do this pod uh, it's going to be a lot of fun it's going to be a lot of fun and I can't wait um, lots of well, info, I love this film so much uh, yeah
0: <laughs> we've also got uh, quite a cool top three on that one as well, we're going to cover our top three children's toys
2: yes, oh yes <laughs> So much fun. So much fun. I cannot wait. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. Talking about toys, 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 toys. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) I can't wait. Uh, So, yeah. Join us next time uh, when uh, we prepare to transform and roll out. Until then, um, see you later, I
1: guess.
0: Bye. See ya. Bye-bye.